0: Hello, greetings, and salutations, my children. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Merged Worlds, our Dungeons & Dragons story podcast. I am excited for this evening, because tonight is the uh, night that we're really going to get into the introduction of the main storyline. We're going to see where this chapter is going to take us. Many of you probably have a, a rough approximate idea already, but the specifics... Uh, is very cool. Um, I think I mentioned near the end of last week's episode that um, the overall story arc of what I would call this chapter is probably my favorite story arc that I wrote. There's parts of different sections that I really loved that scene or that this that I think was better. I really enjoyed the, uh, the end of uh, Draven versus Daedalus. I liked that a lot. Um, There's been a lot of cool stuff I've enjoyed in the story, but for an overall grand arcing scheme, I think I like this section or this chapter um, the best of everything I've done. So I'm excited to get to share it to you because... Uh, We get to go and do things and places and stuff we've never done before, so I'm excited. Uh, Hello, everybody. I see a lot of people here. Let's see. Rustisapro. I hope I said that correctly. Hello. Uh, Let's see. Let me see. Mystique is here. Teresa's here. Hello. (laughs) Jim. Fucci. Good day. Nathan. Hello. Uh, Turtle. Enjoying the music. I appreciate that. I wanted something that sounded... Uh, a little bit different than what I normally use specifically for Merged Worlds, and I felt that was a good tone. Hello, Logan. All right. Uh, Nathan says, probably only playing the most vanilla server on Sky Factory 4. Uh, PC lives a lot faster. Understandable. Understandable. A lot of people have struggled with the Stone Block. I think it's just it appears to be a more intensive than block and Sky Factory 4. So hopefully we can get those straightened out for everybody. All right. Um, so just to kind of recap where we left off in last episode, uh, it was the beginning of uh, been a year and a half since the last big adventure had happened. Our new folks had spent some time um, just living life, prepping some things, getting that stuff going on. Uh, we get covered a little bit of how Serenity has grown very quickly and uh, becoming a, a large above town. We're getting to city size at this point, um, much quicker than the characters had expected, which of course brought on a lot more responsibility. And work than they had thought of. Um, Artemis had given birth to her son Seraph, whose father was the passed away draven. I'm um, doing well, Squitter. Hopefully, you are as well. Um, we uh, see what else we. Uh, we they uh, there was a temple being built in one of the last towns around Serenity um, to kind of join up uh, to be kind of on a good trades. Uh, and, you know, they've been, they're friendly with, with Serendi and the other towns, but they really were a more rugged folk, started as a trader trapper town, and uh, were not really interested in, in being under the thumb of another uh, kingdom after all the years they've been through it. But they are an overwhelmingly religious group, and were um, very much interested in uh, becoming a part of the... Uh, Temple of Serenity. So uh, Artemis built a temple in their town, uh, and the grand opening of that was happening, and so everybody kind of went to visit that. Um, And that's kind of Mercy's Inn is through the temple. You know, Mercy and Artemis are quite adamant. Hey, we're a team. You know, I'm I'm Artemis. So Mercy's never going to be mean because she's part of this union, and that's kind of how they got their foot in the door. Um, On the way back, uh, they were camping out, and they were attacked in the middle of the evening uh, by a large amount of skeletons. Uh, fighting the skeletons, they discovered that Shastra, uh, the young lass who was one of the Wantaloo tribals, uh, was the prophet, but had ta- been taken by Draven's brother and turned into a vampire hybrid creature like himself. Was there had some type of magical handheld sickle-looking device, uh, very artifacty-looking, if you will. Fingers there, uh, and that battle started as long as as well as with other vampires that she had created herself. Not as powerful as uh, her or Daedalus or Draven, but you know. Still vampires, so vampire strength. Uh, that battle was going on, and in the middle of it, uh, Draven appears with a much older looking Tevin, good old one hit Tevin, who was a young lad and around like, I was like 11 or 12 when we last saw him, and now he looks in his late 20s, early 30s, very big, muscular. Instead of a, the traditional robes of a cleric, he's got the more like the tasseled breeches of, of his tribe, but they're all, everything's dyed blue. He's got a uh, bands around his arms and and holding his hair up with feathers in it and such. He's got the classic um, holy symbol hanging around his neck of the Cleric of Healing, much as um, Artemis does. And very quickly we learn that his power and his level is much higher, uh, potentially on par with Artemis, because he starts popping off undead with his turn-undead ability that many of the other clerics couldn't, and that even Artemis was struggling with. Draven helps slaughter the vampires that, that he gets his hands on. He shows up very upset at the situation. And Shastra's fighting Michael and there's an explosion between the two of them. Remember, Michael is Menandra. Shastra has that artifact. When it's all said and done, everybody goes flying and everybody hits the ground. Some people are hurt, injured, dead. No one of the main characters are dead. Uh, Lucas was seriously injured. They got him healed up. Lucas is the head of uh, security for the Temple of Artemis, of course. Or of uh, Artemis's temple. And when it was all said and done, Shastra disappeared with the mysteriously all dressed in black cloaked figure that seemed to be aiding her. And while everyone was healing up and seeing what was going on, they discovered that Michael was in some type of a coma or stasis. He's laying there, his eyes are open, he's breathing very shallowly. His injuries, they were able to heal, but it's like he's just laying there like there's nothing inside of him. And they find that the sickle that Shastra was using, that weapon, that scythe thing, has broken as has Menandra, and Michael merges with Menandra. Whenever they enter into battle, they kind of merge, and he takes on some of their powers, and she takes control of him, and, and, and they work together as, as, a, as a single entity. Um, his hair is still white, as it is when he merges with Menandra, um, but he's just laying there, and Menandra's broken. So they quickly rush back to Serenity as quickly as they can, to see what's going on with him, and um, and that's kind of where we left off. They were summing from help from the clerics, and they were sending to the mages that are there, because the mages of the Brotherhood of Magic of are building a tower here with uh, Mercy and Artemis' p- uh, permission. It's a land on the north side of uh, Lake Serenity, uh, which is kind of the furthest point from where the city is now, is going to be theirs, and the city will eventually probably grow around it as well. But it kind of puts uh, Serenity Keep the temple, and then the wizard, almost like a, a triangle on the three different sections of the uh, of the lake. Uh, they're going to be the three probably primary buildings of Serenity uh, moving forward. With the keep and the temple being larger land-taking size, the tower won't have as much land, but of course it'll be a big old mage tower, so it'll have that. And that's where we left off. Uh, thank you, Thomas, for the subscription. Uh This will take a minute. Several of them are going to come through here. Is that it? Okay. Sometimes there's a delay and it just pops in later. (laughs) But thank you very much for the subs. I appreciate you guys joining up. Um, So yeah, that's where we're going to get left off. We're going to start off by finding out what happened to Draven and Tevin. How are they here? How are they alive? Why does Tevin look so drastically different than he did before? Um, And then find out what we're going to have to do moving forward. So we're going to start with that. As they get back to Serenity... Mercy immediately breaks off from the group. While she's concerned about Michael, she has the other concern of uh, Shastra. And while they were attacked, they don't know what the status is of the other towns. So they arrive. uh, I want to say it was like early to midday, if I remember correctly. As they return immediately, all men-at-arms are riled up. uh, Serenity itself goes on uh, protection. You know, they start being prepared in case something larger, Shastra comes back with something bigger against the city itself. Um, Riders are sent out to the different outposts, uh, because most villages have some form of outpost uh, where there are some guards there letting them know that those villages may be in danger. Additional troops are going to be moved out in that direction, Um, but the primary defense is going to be of serenity. Uh, Because, again, that's where Shastra's main goal is, obviously, because she was very, very very inclined to get her hands on the baby Seraph. Um, Dandy is the most distraught that she has ever been at this point. Maybe, ever, at least ever since uh, they discovered Michael was a Lich King kind of thing, but uh, she's very distraught with Michael, and she accompanies Artemis uh, and Draven and everyone to the temple. Now, uh, Draven and Tevin are getting a lot of weird looks from a lot of people. You remember, most almost nobody here ever saw Draven. They only heard about Draven. Lucas... Uh, who is now slightly conscious conscious, but he's still weak from all the damage he took Uh, he has a very interesting take on Draven the love of Artemis' life father of her child uh, as such He's also, you know, he also views the protection of Artemis. Okay, cool, this guy. But he also remembers the guy that kidnapped her. Then he died. And this other stuff is all happening because of him. So he's kind of 50-50 on Draven at this point. He's not sure how he quite feels, but um, clearly Artemis accepts him. It's not his place to dispute that. Um, And when they return to the temple, Draven walks in with everybody else. That's important because Artemis... uh, as well as several other high-level clerics that have been here and assisted, have cast very strong um, wards on the temple grounds, which is quite common. Um, Any being of evil that would come onto a a holy ground of this nature um, without being given some type of a pass. And that could be some enchanted item. Temples may use different things, maybe an enchanted stone, it could be a book, it could be a scroll, Uh, it could be a spell cast on them. Without that boon given to them from someone in control, uh, they would be, depending on exactly what they are, they could be repelled. Uh, They may not be able to enter in the grounds, or it may just literally physically or mentally harm them to walk onto that holy ground. Um, Even with the charm, they would be uncomfortable. But it is it is not overwhelming. Yes, we're going to hear Draven's story in just a moment. We're just getting back to Serenity and setting up Serenity. And then Draven is going to tell his story once we kind of get things settled. So, yes, I'm going to tell Draven's story in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, good question, Turtle. We're getting to that. But he didn't get a chance to really tell the story until they get back there and settled. So he's going to be telling it to them at the same time he's telling it to you. Uh, but this, this ward will ward off evil. And Draven slides in there without an issue. Uh, which... To many, it's like okay, the war doesn't hurt him. Of course, there's always the thought: uh, Did Artemis let that a loophole? That's for another day. Uh, Hello, Mini Night Gaming, welcome. So, um, it is not uncommon. It's a little okay. It's uncommon, but not rare, for a cleric of evil to show up and be like, "Hey, I would like to deliver a message, or spend some time here, or maybe I need help with your use your library, trade, sell, whatever." and that boon would be given to them while they're there. They're still a guest. They're not actively working against them. Uh, If they did do anything like that, that uh, boon could be very quickly rescinded. They don't have to take the stone back for Artemis to just pull the link off of that, and all of a sudden they're now getting hit with all the protection spells. So I want to let you know that Artemis' uh, temple is probably the most protected place in all of Serenity, magically. Um, And with the Templars there, it probably is more protected than even Serenity Keep, when you combine magic in that. Um, So, in a pinch, if everything was to come whooshing in a whole army of undead against um, Serenity, most of the, what we call the squishies, you know, um, the people who need defended, the women, all that kind of stuff, the old and many of them are going to be taken to the temple more than they would be taken to Serenity Keep. Serenity Keep would be used as well because the temple can only hold so many, but the the Serenity Keep is almost uh, the secondary when it comes to the temple. Just giving you a little bit of layout of that because that can be important down the road. So they get in there immediately. Artemis and the clerics get to start working on Michael, seeing if they can find out what's going on, casting spells, and they send for the mages who are in town to get their take on the whole Menondra situation. While that is going on, Draven and Tevin are talking to the heroes, except for Mercy, who's off taking care of protecting the world. So, Artemis is just, of course, overjoyed to see Draven again. You know, She thought she'd lost him forever, uh, son was never going to get to know the father, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but she's also very intrigued because he was dead, for all intents and purposes. There was no thought uh, reason for her to believe otherwise. And then Tevin's change as a much older, muscular, confident and powerful cleric also comes to the shock because it's only been a year and a half and he's aged a lot and gained a lot of power for a very short period of time. Um, But while they're waiting on the mages to show up to look at the scythe thing and the uh, Menandra, Draven kind of explains what happens. Um, So what happened was back in that time, back when the last thing I remember is him and Tevin going through the portal as soon as they went through the portal, a lot of the boons and strengths that were given to him by Merged World went away. So he did not have the strong regeneration he did. A lot of the boons that a vampire would have on that world, he becomes more almost human-like. Now, granted, he's still stronger than human, faster than human, but he's not as fast as strong as he was on Merged World. Um, it helps that he's not 100%... Uh, born of that world, so he has a little bit of the demon blood of his mother uh, that helps him uh, in that regard as well. But as soon as they went through, Draven immediately was in the worst pain of his life. I mean, his guts are starting to spill out, and he's just trying to keep his mind focused enough to close that portal. Uh, so, for all intents and purposes, the Draven look exactly like... Draven looks nothing like me. Draven is attractive. Um... For those of you who may not know, let me give you a quick picture of what Draven looks like again. Uh, la, 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 la. Draven. There you go. That is actually the character of Soren Markov from Magic the Gathering, but that is exactly how I pictured Draven when I created him and then came across this art later and it, it was just perfect. That's maybe not quite as much metal chest piece, but other than that, he was, he was very, very much like that. So no, he does not look like me. He looks like how I wish I looked. <laughs> uh, so no, that that is Draven. He was always designed to, to look like that. The long white hair being one of his most uh, his most common looks. Now, look like me? I wouldn't do that to the poor guy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's got the uh, the long hair and such. Uh, that's blonde. He's all white, uh, which Seraph uh, also got from him. Uh, Artemis is blonde. Uh, very much like a, a golden blonde, but uh, his, Seraph's hair is all white like his father's. So here he is, they walk through, his guts are falling out. He's trying to maintain, because you trying not to go into shock, right? He's trying to maintain his strength so he can cast what little spell ability that he learned from his mother to close portals. Because Draven cannot open portals, but he can close portals. Uh, <laughs> picture him looking like me? All right, well, I'm Draven after the buffet. So, he's Draven before the buffet. So, you guys put that together, how do you like. <laughs> um, so, in this moment, he's just... he's dying. I mean, there's nothing to save him at this point. While he's doing that, Tevin is trying to use the one or two little healing spells that he has. Uh, which are not much. Um, but the key point is, he is able to cast those spells. That's very important. Because that means that the god Tavian, while they have no clerics on this world, Tavian is still hearing his prayers. He is still able to reach out to his god and because cleric spells work like that you're praying to your god to basically do this effect and that magic flows from that connection Uh, each night you have to pray to get your spells back, worship that kind of a thing Um, and uh, he's still able to reach out and connect with Tavian uh, So, while he's casting his one or two spells to keep Draven sane enough to cast his, uh, he is successful. And uh, it it doesn't really heal Draven, it just kind of stops the dying for 60 seconds. Long enough for Draven to cast his spell thing and uh, close the portal. Um, At that point, weakness he just crumples to the ground, and Tevin he's weak from casting his spells and everything else that went on. Remember he used the that crystal orb of sunlight thing that drained him a whole lot because God talked through him and all that kind of stuff. Back in the battle, he was very drained, and they both just basically fell to the ground. Um, and while well, Draven was dying, and Draven, you know, as he's dying, basically looks at the young kid and he's like, I, he's apologizing because he knows that once he's gone, Tevin is on his own in this world, and he's just a kid. 11 or 12 years old, got like one or two little healing spells, and he's basically edible. Like, so much so that other creatures would sense that there's something about him. Like, you know, imagine you ever sit there and somebody walks by the restaurant with a plate or something, and you're like, okay, that, that smells good. What was that? Something, it makes you literally tasty. People, the the blood that flows through Draven and, and the rest of Valerians on there is different. And human blood ha- shares a lot of the same I don't know. I guess you could say the blood of of mortals has that same kind of, uh, I guess you say chromosomes or whatever, that most of the, uh, it has that thing in it that gives them sustenance, like the food and the water and the meats, because there's animals on here, they have their versions of deer, and they kill the deer, they eat the deer. You know, that sustenance they get is from what's the makeup of those creatures. It's a part of what that world is. Uh, It flows in their water, flows in their food. You could say that much of that is ours. Imagine if you have your periodic table, they've got a couple extra four or five things on there that keeps them alive, and it's found in everything on their world. Within reason. They're not going to eat a tree. Within reason. Um, That is also found in uh, very, very large quantities, in mortal uh, cells, I guess you could say. Blood specifically. The chocolate, he is quite delicious. Um, As Draven's life begins to fade out, and Tevin, you know, he's holding Draven's hand. He sees him leaving. uh, Tevin does the only thing that he can think of, and he pulls out his knife. uh, And that's when he, that's when Draven looks over to. Tevin, and Tevin takes off that blue choker on his neck. He's got a blue, kind of like a cloth choker and then the amulet. He takes it off and you can see a line with two fangs. Two scars on his neck. Uh, in that point of Draven almost being dead, much like you'd see in a vampire movie, at that point he has almost no control. The the smell of the blood, the so on. As he cuts himself a little bit, Draven just latches on and begins to drink from Tevin. Uh, which, again having that sustenance in such, again, compact, right? There's so much of what is distributed is just all clumped down into one inside Tevin. It gives him back some of that strength and regenerative that he got on merged worlds to the point that it stabilizes him and he begins to heal. Tevin is weakened, but Draven is able to stop himself before draining him. I want to point this out. Draven does not turn Tevin into a vampire in no way. Does that happen? But they do explain that the side effect of that did cause Tevin to age differently. And so everybody's looking at Tevin now. Obviously, he looks much older and stronger. They're like, oh, that's why you look so old now. And he smiles and Draven smiles and Draven shakes his head. He goes, that's why he looks so young. He says, it's been 42 years since I've seen you. On Valerium, time moves very differently outside of Merge Worlds. We've talked about that. Out there, everything moves so much longer. It has taken them over 40 years to find a way to get back here. Kevin has aged slower, but in 40 years of practicing... And becoming a much more powerful cleric. And aging. Uh, that's why he's so strong. Because he's literally the equivalent of like a 50 year old cleric. But he only looks like he's late 20s, early 30s. He's aging slower, but he is still aging. And that's the thing I want to stress. He's not going to live forever. That was something him and Draven talked about. And he from the beginning and said, no, I, I can't go into death being a cleric of life. It just won't work like that. Yeah, you know, he grows up older. How do I come up with this stuff? Um, mostly alcohol. I'm just kidding, no. Uh, that was back when I barely drank. <laughs> A lot of this was planned out before they ever fought Daedalus. I knew what was going to happen there. I knew what was going to happen in Daedalus' fight well ahead of time. Not exactly um, some of the specifics, but I knew the overall ending of it. I designed it that way. You just got to be real careful when you do D&D. You, you, you don't want to railroad people. You know, Railroading is where you, players have no choice in it. I always want to make sure the players have a choice. I can set the path to get someplace, and you may veer off that path for a while, but as a good DM, I've got to find a way of bringing you back naturally without you feeling like you're being forced to do that. Um, that is probably, I'd say, of anything else, if somebody who wants to be a dungeon master or storyteller in this type of gaming thing, uh, it's being able to make sure that the story can continue in a way that the characters literally contribute but still end up getting to the same ending, regardless of where you where you start from. You know what I mean? You start here, you're going to go to Chicago. That's the story. I'm going to go from where I'm at, Knoxville, to Chicago. And they say, hey, we're going to California. Okay, cool. We've got adventures. We've got stuff going on. But at the end of the day, their quest ends up getting them in Chicago. It's my job to come up with something in the meantime that I hadn't expected to be fun and interesting and still make it naturally flow. Uh, so that's just, a, again, brief inside to the storytelling side of it. Um, but someone who just straight up railroads and gets mad when the characters don't do what they want, not normally going to be a good DM and not going to last very long at it. It's not your story, it's our story, and we're putting, we're pulling it together, we're creating that. But I digress, back again. So, uh, your favorite modded Minecraft YouTuber. Well, thank you very much, Peckamall, I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you for coming by and saying so. Um... But over these years, Draven and Tevin have literally become best friends. Draven's never really had a friend. You know what I mean? He's had allies, and he was allied with Michael, who never trusted him, and Dandy, who kind of trusted him, and Artemis, who loved him, but you know, he had allies in the Wantaloo, but even then he you know, he while he became friendly with them, he never really had like a best friend kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um it's this is Draven's first chapter, where they literally began to live a life together, both trying to find a way back. Um, and he says that the story of how they achieved that is something they'll have to tell at another time, because at this point, the wizards show up. I very, very much cut that off, because I knew what happened, and that's a story that is going to come out later. Um, but they ended up, after all these years, finding a way back, when they got back, they traveled beeline directly because they, they appeared in the same place they, they appeared out, the old ruins of that temple on the hill. and Or the, the, where the tower was. All rubble at this point, collapsed and everything. They made a straight beeline to the lands of the tribals. Tevin wanted to check in on his people while Draven is wanting to get back to here. It's on the way and, I mean, he, he owes the boy that, for sure. And especially since Draven drank from that on occasion, Wasn't that one time. Uh, there are situations that he needed to be stronger or faster or healed. And that's part of the other story. But they went by the tribal lands, learned that the Wontolu, um are doing okay. Uh, they lost a lot of people. Um, they eventually came back and took their lands. Uh, they're very happy to see Tevin, although he's very they're very confused by it. But remember, there were several surviving tribals that came back who well, they see Tevin, who they named Tevin Lightbringer. They gave him his name because he they, you know, normally have to come of a specific age and you get named it, right? That's where you earn your name, you know, rock thrower, or whatever the case may be, orc killer, whatever. but he, Lightbringer, because he, in his, his biggest moment, he brought the light to save them all, and now he's walking into darkness to be the light to lead Draven. So Lightbringer was the name that was given to him by the new tribesman who was joined, the head of the, uh, of the Tribals that was traveling with them. He's, his brother, if you'll remember, was the leader of the tribe, but he died in the whole fight and such. Uh, so he's now the new leader. Kevin, uh, awesome seeing him, that he's back like this. I mean, that's a big deal. They, they hear a bit of the story as well. The whole aging thing throws them off, but they lay it off to, oh, he's a cleric, he's magical. We don't have any of those. What they, what they learned at that point, and this part was a concern is that it's been a year and a half since they left, and no tribe has given birth to a prophet. If you remember, when a prophet dies, normally, within nine months, another prophet will be born to one tribe, and whichever tribe that is, that's kind of the head tribe for the lifetime of that prophet. Um, And there's always been that danger. Prophets can never die... To hostil- has to die normally. If another tri- if they die through hostilities, especially from another tribe, it'll bring down a curse upon the tribes. And so the tribes have had no mystical leader for the first time in several hundred years because no prophet has been born yet. Uh, kids have been born, so it's not like they're not having kids, but no prophecy. Uh, let me catch up here a little bit here. Um, I feel like I might even like the DM side of it even more than just listening to the story. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, So is it possible for Tevin being a cleric to become a werewolf? It's possible for anybody to become a werewolf. Oh, let me rephrase. I'm sure there's some... If you're already aware something, you probably can't become aware something else. I'm not sure of the rules of that. Werewolf gets bit by a were... rat. That would probably be DM's discretion. Um, But it is feasibly possible, yes. Although lycanthropy is curable. In, in, in Dungeons and Dragons. There are spells that can do that, and a cleric of healing could very, or good cleric anyways, could very easily go to a temple and say, hey, I've been inflicted. I need to get this off. And they're going to help him because he's a cleric. They want to save him. Assuming he wants to get rid of it. Because remember, not all lycanthropes are evil. There are good, neutral, and evil lycanthropes. And a good person being bit by an evil lycanthrope could make would it, it, it would just cause them to go evil. It will change the way you think, but there are recorded cases of an evil person being bitten by a good lycanthrope and that person becoming good. That can totally happen. The lycanthropy will literally change your mental makeup as well as your physical. Hey, everyone, have to miss a story tonight working. Had to stop by. Well, that's all right, M.T. I appreciate it. It'll still be here for you. I hope work goes by quickly and uh, as easily as possible for you. I think they can't change their set. Yeah, I don't think they can stack. At least I've never seen it in any of the rule books. I've never heard it stack. The closest you get there is a Werelord, which usually still has one or two forms, but it's its own specific thing. It's not like a Werebat. And a, it's, it's its own. Werelords are their own thing. Um, but I've never seen that. And I don't think on Merged Worlds, at least at this point, I don't see a reason where that would happen. Although that's the fun of Merged Worlds. On Merged Worlds, I get to write the rules. Because 90% of the Merge world, it may not happen, but on that one world way over there, it could. So, at this point, I've never done that, nor do I have any intention to, at this point in the story, uh, having multiple were-creatures. But I rule nothing out. (laughs) Okay. So, they returned after they found that there. No profits. They make a beeline for Serenity. uh, But they're a little bit north, and they're coming down. They get to Serenity... It's changed a lot in a year and a half. It's grown. We talked about that in the beginning. And they realized that Artemis has already left. And what was going on. Why they left. And that his son was there as well. Tevin went in and did the recon. Draven didn't show up because he doesn't know the state of things. But Tevin went in. You know. Chatted with some people on the outskirts. Oh yeah. She's off doing this thing. They make a beeline there. Things happen. They show up. All right, so that's that's kind of the, the basic overall story of what happened, uh, how Draven is still alive. What happened to him and Tevin in the 40 years that he uh, was back on Valerian and the quest to how they managed to come back is a very detailed, long story that now that we've reached that point, that story is going to be set aside for a special episode of Merge Worlds, maybe a special occasion when we say, okay, here... Now I get to share that story. And same as, uh, there's also, I have another section of story written that is the story of uh, Draven's early life, from his birth up until the point that he went, he got the short form of how he and mom traveled, and he went back there, and the mom got killed, and now he's fighting Daedalus. I have that whole story of his life written out as well. So these are things that are story segments that on special occasions, I'll be like, okay, guys, maybe we finished a, a chapter of a story. Before we start the next chapter, we're going to spend today telling that tale. So that is some things that I will be doing in the future. Uh, that's actually going to pop up for some characters. There's going to be segments occasionally that tells parts of their life or history or what was going on while the main characters were going on uh, that are saved for special situations and timings within the story. Is Artemis' child the prophet? No. Sir, I can tell you sir, no. Seraph is not. Because all prophets are born to the tribe. There's never been any recorded instance of of it being just born out in the world, and then the tribes go get them. It's part of the tribe's lifeblood. Seraph has none of that, so no. Uh, That is a common question I got from the characters back in the day, too, but I assured them as well. uh, Seraph is not in any way a prophet, nor did he get any of his grandmother's prophecy abilities. Draven's mom had the gift of prophecy, remember? But to this point, I've never put it in where, where Seraph has any form of prophecy. Because I I don't want to stack too much in there. You know what I mean? You don't want to overload someone. That, that's my problem with Star Wars. You got this here, you got this, and you got this ability, and then your mom gave you this, your grandma gave you this, you got this from your brother, you got this from your uncle, this was the droid that you learned when you were five. That's just too much stuff where one person becomes all powerful and then they can't handle it and it all goes crazy. Um, bloodlines are important, but not completely. Not all I'm assuming there. Alright, so I know the way you like to twist and turn the story. Oh, there's a lot of twists. We're just not too bad yet. Okay, so they get back. That's then, of course, we know what happened. That was last episode. Now they're back there, and it's at this point that the mages show up that are there overseeing the tower. They come in, and they've already been told a little bit what's happening, and Mercy arrives with them. She's finished doing what she needed to do. Uh, she's, all of her knights are out taking care of stuff, and her knights have spread. Like, literally, Ulrich is here. Oh, sorry. Ulrich is here taking care of Serenity. That's his primary job. Each of the other knights have gone to the other towns or to the wall of Oramon. You know, they've got that guard thing there now they've built up. It's not a full wall, but it's got some towers. You know, light the Gondor kind of thing where they can... stuff. Everybody's going to make sure everybody knows of the issue because they don't know if this is if if is going to come back with more or what direction it's coming from. And not only do they have to protect themselves, they also are in charge of protecting the other villages. So everybody's... all the knights have taken... Whatever guards they don't need in Serenity, they've split them up, and they've gone to all the towns. And that's what's happening there. Uh, oh, except for Quan, I'm sorry. Quan also stayed. He's back, because he didn't go them. He's back now. So it's Uruk and Quan here. Alright, so... The mages come in, and they hear this story. Um, they meet Draven. They've heard of Draven. They're very, very interested to meet Draven. Oh, Gucci! Welcome back. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Give me just a second here. But yeah, I got to quickly update something. One second. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, yes. Um, I'll cover that in a second. So, yes, it's the uh, one of those situations where they've got it all up and going. Mm, excuse me. Mm. There we go. Okay. So, um, is it four members now? Sadly not. Uh, we lost two members today. That one puts us back up to 69. The counter here doesn't go down. It only counts what happens during the stream. So, I have to go in and manually adjust it, and I forgot to do that this time. We were actually down to 68. So, fuji signing back up puts us back up to 69. So, we're, we're six away. But that I, that always happens throughout the month. A couple of people drop off, and then they realize it's dropped off, and they sign back up again. So, 90% of the ones that drop off pop back in. So, I, I'm not concerned about that. I'm Feeling confident that we'll have 75 by the end of the month. That's definitely going to be the drive. I may even do a membership drive with some contests and prizes sometime this month to see if we can get there. Um, uh, let's see. It's Miser. Hi. Hello. 69. Your vids are helping me a lot playing Sky Factor 4. Well, I'm glad I could do that. Thank you so very much. Yeah, that was Fuji's auto-renewal, so it kicked it back in. Um, so there we go. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, the mages come in. They're very interested to in me, Draven. Because they've never they've heard about him. They've don't know they never seen a thing like him. Uh, so, you know, down the road, they're like, hey, we'd like to talk to you kind of stuff. What's well, a membership drive? That's where I have a stream with the whole goal of trying to get people to sign up for memberships. Um, uh, so it's kind of like a donation drive for charity. Remember I mean, we had the charity drive? That was a... a, 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 a specifically designed to try to get people to give donations this would be specifically to try and get people to join up for membership so we'd have contests special stuff things going on things that might inspire someone to sign up that month um i've never i did one way back when we were trying to hit 20 members to get our server uh and i think it got four or five of us it got us right almost to the original server uh which was the very 1st don- uh, members goal All right. Oh, kind of a drive, but you're not charity again. I I don't want donations. It's all about getting members so we can hit our member goal and get the uh, the new the new goal. So yeah, it's it's because that money I turn around and put into buying the new server. So uh, that's not a profitable (laughs) thing by any means. Okay, well we're gonna skip Minecraft. Get back on the story here for the podcast for those people who may be listening and don't know about anything else I'm talking about. Um, So it's at this point they come in. They're doing their stuff. The mages have seen Menander before. You know, Michael lives there. I'm sure they've looked at it. Probably didn't get cast a lot of spells on it. He's very protective of that. But uh, um, it's one of those things where... He's checking it. Do I drink on those days? Yes, I'll drink on almost any day. Um, They begin casting their spells. They also begin casting spells on Michael. Because healing's not working. All the clerics have cast what they need. Artemis has now tried a couple group spells. Remember when they tried to heal... Bart and Mara back in Paxawal when they were poisoned. You know, a lot of clerics when coming together, casting a group spell is way more powerful than uh, just a solo spell, but nothing is bringing Michael out of his comatose state. They are keeping his eyes closed. They close, you know, moist, you know, stay moist you know, dry out his eyeballs or nothing. Uh, the goal is 75. We're looking for 75 members to hit the new goal. Um, oh, that's the donation goal. Yes, the member goal is the one I'm worried about. I, it's the main one for me. I want to get 75 members so we can get... Uh, another server. So, um... They're looking at that. They're looking... They're casting their spells. And that was kind of going on... While Mercy's saying what she's done... Lucas has got... The temple on lockdown. Anybody... Cleric... Anybody was out... Unless you are cleric... Specifically... Assigned... To a security detail. Which happens. The temple does work... With the Serenity Guard... Where there are clerics of healing... And of combat... And of war... And those folks can sometimes be assigned as part of their training to work with a specific group. So a lot of big brigades will have clerics assigned to them for a period of time while they train. Um, That was something that Artemis, the the players who wrote Artemis and Mercy really wanted to have that hook in. So the different clerics would work with them in different ways, uh, but they would be hand-in-hand for battle. Because they don't have a lot of mages at this point, but they do have a pretty good supply of clerics rolling in. Um, So cleric magic is their big thing. That's why the mage tower popping up is going to be beneficial because the mages are going to have the same kind of situation. With the mages being there, as young mages, if you're a mage's proficiency in combat or war or things of that nature, they can be assigned to Brigade to to learn to work with warriors as well. Because remember, kits and specialties, uh, all mages choose some type of specialty at some point and focus in that direction. So after all the spells are cast and everything is done um the uh the 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 main wizard let me grab his name again cuz i forgot he's just here hanging out um he's not going to live here forever he's temporary um, let's see ba 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 that's Seraph. ah angus that's right angus is the uh, white robe mage good mage, and he's overseeing the building. He's not going to run the tower. Once it's built, he's leaving. Someone will be coming in to run it. Uh, actually, probably three people, but he's uh, he's the one overseeing the building, the construction, and making sure that stuff is going on. Uh, what would be the best way to kill a vampire in D&D? Sunlight. Hands down. Stake through the heart, sever the head, burn it, put the ashes in sunlight, or spread them as far apart as possible. Classic stuff. Holy symbols can still work, not necessarily a cross, but holy symbols can. Uh, turn undead. If you're super powerful, could maybe do it, but you'd have to be almost a, a king priest status to have the ability to, to destroy a vampire with purely your, your faith. Um so when they cast they're checking these things, what they what he comes to them, Angus says, he goes, Well what we know of how Menandra works, that Michael and Menondra merged together. The two artifacts coming into combat against each other was too much for them, and it caused them to sever. They don't know what this sickle thing is, although they can say it was very, very powerful as well. Um, And they have, just off the top of their heads, they've never heard of anything like it. But they'll research, of course. They've cast their spells on it. And it does not have any magic left in it, because that's what happens. When magic item or artifact is broken, you usually have a release of power, which honestly should have left a crater. should have done way more damage than it did, but it didn't. And surprisingly so, the pieces of Menander are still giving off faint magic. Which shouldn't be happening with a damaged item. Um, so what they're thinking is, at this point, since they were merged, when the when it broke, it broke Michael. They said, this is purely a guess. We don't know what that means. We don't know how to get it back. It's not simple of slapping some tape on Menondra. This is an artifact that's been around hundreds of years from a world we've never heard of. Um, it's something where this is a bit outside of our scope. Because none of them there are specialists in magic item artifacts. That's not what he's here for. He's, he's here constructing the thing. And they've got some clerics there, but none of them are, are, are clerics. Which is what, of course, our good friend Tobias and Lamia are. He mentions that and as, as he's saying that, the, clear, the, the characters look at each other like, well, we know where we have to go. We haven't seen Tobias or heard a word from him since we returned him in his shape, other than to hear word from the wizards that say, yes, he's okay, and he's living in the tower. He appears pretty healed up, but none of them knew him very personally. There's a lot of mages that go through there. Um, Ashley said that's what happened. I figured some people might pick up on it a little bit. Um, but he says, at this point, the best thing that I can recommend is that you're going to need to go and take him and the staff there, there, Lamia, Tobias is getting there, but Lamia is the most experienced magic item and artifact um, creator and uh, keeper of knowledge of that type of thing that anyone in those towers knows with one other exception. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, But in the tower itself is them. So they're like, okay, we need to go there as quickly as we can because we don't know what's going on. They're like, can you tell? Is it fading? They're like, we're not seeing anything with, with our spells isn't showing that. We don't have that type of capability. But the concern is the longer it's like this, the, the less of a chance that we're going to be able to get Michael back. Which, of course, you know, Danny's just crying because this is horrible news, right? She doesn't know what's going on. And, and while she's a friend and involved in all this stuff, it's in her stressful moment right now, she's just, it's not all clicking for her. And... Uh, Artemis is trying to help with that and such. And, um, even even she stands with Draven and, and, and Tevin a little bit because she knows them. Tevin still is weird because he used to be just a little bit taller. Now he's way taller. Um, but I have a mini. I haven't painted a mini for Tevin. It's going to be the one I show tomorrow. By the way, tomorrow on the Instagram channel, I have the Merge Worlds Instagram account. I put up a miniature painted after characters. I have new Tevin. Popping up there f- for you guys. That'll be tomorrow. So you get to kind of see what Tevin looks like now. the best as I could make him, anyways. Um, so they're like, okay, well, time is of the essence. We have to go. What do we do with this threat? Um, adult Tevin or young Tevin? Uh, adult Tevin. Young Tevin was posted a couple days ago. Oops, hold on. Drop something. Young Tevin uh, was posted just a couple of days ago already. So he's already up there. Um, same as young Shastra. I have adult Sh- or I have vampire Shastra. Both of them are going to be posted here um, in the next couple of days. So, um, yes, that's where we were. So at this point, they have to do that. What are we going to do? Do we all leave? Do we all stay? What's going on? The mages say that they will send out for assistance to help oversee Serenity with a looming threat because they have a an interest in this land. Their, tower, their, their mage tower is half-built. There's a lot of money, excuse me, and a lot of effort that's being put into this. It, they are linked with Serenity's survival as well. So they're going to be helping defend Serenity. They're going to be sending for more mages from Pax of Wall as well. Though it may be a while, be, uh, short term, before they get here, they have, you know, faster ways to teleport and stuff to get here than anybody else. So a decision is made, and the characters have to have a conversation with the NPCs and decide what's going on. Artemis has to go. She's got to go to if it does if, if the temple in Paxwell says yes we can heal him but we need high-level clerics she needs to be there she needs to be able to cast that be there to help cast that spell Dandy of course is going to go a hundred percent right and that leaves us with mercy Mercy wants to stay and look after serenity but sending Dandy and Artemis out into the world without her is not something that she's feeling good about Lucas is also of course, not happy about the concept that Artemis may leave. So, there's some debate, and there's some conversation, and I'm playing eight NPCs at the time, <laughs> We're all I'm arguing multiple points for and against. And the biggest pro that they have at this point is our two new uh, NPC friends that have shown up. Draven, who is in a position to help protect... Serenity better than any other single individual there, other than Michael, since Michael's gone. And then Tevin, who's on power, is on par at this point with basic with Artemis, um, while if Artemis leaves, of course. Um, he won't be taking over in charge, of course. Miasha will do that. That's Miasha's job. But he's more powerful than Miasha, and so him staying there would provide the same magical ability. They would lose while Artemis is gone. Mercy's a great warrior, but there's thousands of great warriors. She would help. Mercy is like, okay, I have to go too. So that leaves us with a big situation. Does Artemis take the kid? Hmm? Imagine that situation. You have a son. Not even a year old yet. Smidge under love him crazy. You're going to go walking into a situation. Hopefully Pax will get it fixed and come back, but you don't know. Or, you can leave him here for an indeterminate amount of time protected by the man you love that just came back today that you haven't seen in a year and a half because you thought he was dead. This is the decision that Artemis had to make. Um, But, me personally, that would be a hard decision for me to make, especially leaving the kid. But they decide to do that. The goal is that Artemis will go to Paxiwal, be gone a couple of weeks, because it takes a couple of weeks to get there, and back. Find out what's going on, and then she'll return as quickly as possible. Their goal is not to be gone long. If it, something worse is beyond that, they'll deal with that when they get there. But at this point, with the fear of Michael not knowing how long Michael may have, they have to get him there as quickly as possible. So they decide they're going to leave the next day. That gives everybody time to prepare, and it gives them time to reach out to another friend, Darsh the Minotaur, and make him aware of what's going on. Because what's an adventure without Darsh? I'm now going to read to you the next snippet of story. Excuse me. Darsh awakens to a beautiful morning Carefully and quietly He climbs out of bed Trying not to wake Lyra Darsh can't help but smile As he looks at her curvy form under the covers Darsh had fallen hard for the young Minotaur As she had for him Together they built a home in Kroniar She was currently overseeing the opening of their store Which would offer imported goods To the citizens of Kroniar So Darsh's islands, which he's developing as his business hub and a place for them to live eventually, he also has lands in Kroniar where he has a home where they are living currently while he's overseeing stuff and when he's for her to be while he's out running around doing business deals. Uh, Let's see. Darsh quietly put on his robe and creeped out of the bedroom, closing the door behind him. He made his way to his office where he spent a few minutes glancing over some new ship designs. He had been working with Gasket, Doram, Nathalian, and a local shop builder named Gron on designing a ship that offered the best of minotaur, human, and elf designs in one vessel. Sitting down, he began making a few notations on a document he was preparing, and after a few moments when he was done, uh, leaving only the act of sealing the missive. Reaching down, he pulled open the bottom drawer of his desk, where his sealing wax and signet were kept. As those of you may not know what that is, you melt the candle, you pour the wax on, you get the little metal stamp, you press it in there, the wax hardens, you know if someone's opened the message before it gets there, you break it open. All thoughts of the paperwork immediately disappeared at the sight of the pulsating glow coming from within the small crystal globe next to his signet. With growing concern, he removed the globe and placed it on its small wooden stand. Tapping it gently with his fingers, he whispered the command word, and then he waited to give you just a taste of what Darsh is doing. Um, So, as the next morning they're getting ready to leave, Mercy's been waiting to tell them, and finally it pops up that Darsh is there and answering. She's able to tap on it. Mercy fills them in on everything that's happened. He knows about Draven, but he never met him. Here's about Draven. Uh, Seraph, he's never seen Seraph, because Seraph was born while he was gone. They did attend the wedding of Darsh at one point, um, Dandy did and Michael, Artemis and Mercy were not able to travel for that, but um, because of just at the Artemis at the time was very pregnant, um, and Mercy couldn't leave her as well. So, there's that. They uh, but Dandy and Michael did go. Michael's a friend, so hearing this information, Darsh is concerned. He's like, Well, of course, I need to, I'll, I'll definitely do my best to meet you all in Paxwell. He goes, unfortunately, my ship's not here right now. It's actually out on a supply run. Dorham is just ran to the islands. It's going to be a week or so before it gets here, and it'll take a week or so for me to get to Paxwell. Um With your travel time, I may show up there a few days after you, uh, but as soon as the ship is here, we'll head out as quickly as we can. Because the Miss Dandelion, uh, Dandy's old ship, stays at the islands, and it basically goes between the islands. Uh, for It's basically a transport. That's what its purpose is most of the time at this point. Hey, Midnight. Somebody said hello to you. Mystique did. Uh, Pentacle and I have blue ceiling wax. There you go. I, I used to do that with scrolls for d DD. I would give them to characters and they could break them open. It's kind of fun. So he says he's going to do his best to get there as quickly as he can. Um, of course, he then goes and tells Lyra. Lyra understands, knows kind of what his life is and things. Uh, while he's not done a whole lot of adventuring, per se, while they've been together, um, he's gone a lot anyways. He's a merchant. He's going off to the different kingdoms and working out deals and so on and so forth. Uh, Darsh is seen as a relatively high-level noble at this point. Not only does he have more land than maybe anybody but the emperor when you count your, his islands, um, but he was you know, just bathed in... Titles and such when he came back uh, for being single-handedly the guy who brought the Emperor back. Um, And on top of that, ended up marrying the Emperor's cousin. That helps too. Links him a little bit more with the the family in charge at this point. So um, he's very well-known at this point. Uh, he's quite the businessman. His business is booming. Um, he's still one of the only the only ship that can sail Elven waters. Although the Elves seem to be, they finally have some paperwork uh, between um, Arduel and them, uh, King Christopher's. Who are we talking about? Darsh. We're talking about Darsh the Minotaur on his island, uh, and that kind of thing. So Darsh, they message Darsh, the big Minotaur guy, who's their friend. I just got back from doing laundry. You're good. <laughs> yeah, we've we've included Darsh now. He's he just got the information through their little crystal ball. So he's getting that set up, getting ready to go, preparing to get to Paxwall. We go back to Serenity where everybody's getting ready to leave. Lucas very unhappy that Artemis has commanded him to stay. It wasn't a playing around. It wasn't a joking. It was a, you are, will stay. It's just one of the few times she stands up to him. She goes, you will stay here while I'm gone. You are in charge of protecting this temple, its lands, its people, and my son. Well, we know Draven's going to be there doing a lot of that too. He's not going to be hanging out in the room changing diapers. He's probably never done that. <laughs> He'll be there taking care of stuff and probably spending some time with the kid. but he won't be spending all of his time there. That's going to fall upon the clerics and such in the temple. Which is something that Artemis isn't real happy about. It's not something she foresaw happening this early in his life. Hoped she wouldn't have to do any real travel till he was old enough to be able to come along. Uh, but that's the situation that she's in right now. Uh, and Lucas, she has demanded stay, and is also saying, I want you to keep all the Templars here. Mercy, Dandy, and I are going to go. They're going to put Michael in the chest of holding. You know, that's a way for him to get there. They can gently put him in there. Uh, they open it every so often to make sure he gets air, but in his slow-breathing coma- so state, he'll be completely safe inside of there while they travel. Uh, they're going to be moving as quickly as they can to the portal, taking the Realm Gate to Paxiwal, and getting there as quickly as they can. The roads between Paxiwal and Serenity, even though there's a gate in the middle of it, are very well developed now. And there's even new towns and such that have grown along them, because of all the workmen going between the two places. Uh, a lot of inns and businesses have popped up there, so it's it's faster to get there now because almost none of it is wildlands any longer. As they are, the Plus, the other thing is if, the other thing they're talking about, if they sneak out, just a few of them, then it's also possible that if they are being watched, there's less chance they'll be noticed. You know what I mean? So much so that um, what they've decided to do is that to get to the portal, Draven's going to take him there while they're in the chest of holding. Because Draven can go through the woods way faster than anybody else, and if he wants to be sneaky, there's not many people they are going to know he's doing it. Um, hello, Midnight. Come on, buddy. So, yes. that's So, that's kind of the thoughts there. So, Mercy's got her supplies. Come here. Come on, buddy. Sit on your chair. Uh she's got her supplies. Everybody's packed up. They keep the chest a holding with all the basic stuff. You never know when you're going to need that barrel of pickled fish. But uh usually there's basic stuff in there in case somebody needs it. I mean, they actually had it uh fairly stocked up for the trip that they just got back from, just on the off chance they needed something. So they put the last stuff they need to, they bring in some type of soft bedding to put Michael on. ...set him in there, they, they gently bring Michael down... ...Menandra and the sickle, they're bringing both of them... ...that thing, they're bringing it with them... ...and they're going to, uh... ...they've got those all wrapped up carefully... And ...set down in there on the opposite side of the room of Michael... ...right? Because they don't want that to happen... ...just in case, right? And they get prepared to climb in... ...and as they do so, and they're preparing to do this... ...they're all standing in the temple at this point... ...another figure walks in... ...dressed ready for the road... Ulrich has arrived. He has on him his traveling gear, which is light armor. And you can see that in the large sack he has, he's bringing with him his his primary armor, his weapons with him. And he clearly looks ready for travel. Mercy's like, what the hell are you doing here? He goes, I'm here to go. And they're like, no, you need to stay here and run Serenity. I'm leaving you in charge. While I'm gone... I need you to do this. He looks at and he goes, yeah, it's not going to happen. Quan's with him. He goes, I've talked to Quan. Quan and the others are going to take control. They're, they're going to take leadership roles. They're going to run this place. They can do just as good a job as I can. The last time we let you out of our sight, you ended up a gladiator. We're not going to let that happen again. Um, and when we talked about it, it was unanimous that I was going to be the one going with you. So that's going to happen. She goes, and if I command differently, he goes, she go, he goes, that will have absolutely no effect on the outcome of this story. <laughs> he said, on the outcome of this story, you command whatever you'd like. She's sure. fuming at this point, and Artemis is, is just kind of giggling. No, this is, this is uh, Ulrich, Ulrich, which is her head knight. Ulrich shows up. And remember, Ulrich's talking to her. Ulrich is the one that had to go save her, help save her from the, the gladiator ring. Right? remember he was in there and showed up with her weapon and such he's like yeah we've determined that we can't let you all out of our sight without at least one of us being there Quan went last time <laughs> he's not up for traveling uh, because Quan just recently got married to a young lass here in Serenity um, so he, no, he's not in a hurry to get out of here oh you didn't see the end of the gladiator bit ah I gotcha yeah so they're saying at this point we've just dis- we've discussed it and we're sending me. And, and he goes, We didn't need your thoughts on this matter. This is what's going to happen. We can't leave you on our own. On your own, obviously. So she's fuming, but what's she gonna do at this point? Like all of her most loyal people are like, no, they're not all back. A couple of them are back from the villages. They came back that night. The ones that were close, some of them are still gone to the front and things, but the ones that were back, Seamus and Quan are like, we've got this. You know, we know what needs to be done. We've got this place. And while we'll miss his sword here, of course, uh, it will be made way more useful at your side. We you miss where they are going. They're going to Wall because Michael's in a coma, and they got to figure out why. And they need Lemia to cast magic spells on Menandra and him to see what's caused it. So that's a, just a quick recap for either turtle there. So they're going. Um, so it's Dandy, Artemis, Mercy, and this time they're all... <laughs> As Ulrich. and he loads. His, he begins to load his armor down into the chest of holding as well, uh, with what gear he's not going to carry on him. And then he's like, he's down there, and he's like, coming. And Mercy's just not super happy about that. Uh, they needed that one flower again. No, that flower is not that. That's different. No, this won't be. This won't be the flower. It'll be different. Uh, good callback though. But no, that was for a magical poison. We don't know what's causing this. Not really. So they make their at this point, they, Mercy, not real happy about it, but not doesn't have time to really, you know, fight about it. Uh, they have to go, because Michael's time could be running very short. So, as originally planned, they all climb into the chest of holding, uh, and then Draven uses the command word to shrink it, because he's used it before. Remember, he's carried them before on their quest. And, uh, saying that he'll be back in just, you know, a few hours. I want to point that out. It's a several-day trip to get to the portal normally, because I'll be back in a few hours. Tevin's like, "Okay, be safe." You know, they do a little like fist bump or whatever. They got a friend, best friend handshake, whatever they do. And uh, wait, they all turn to the door to watch him leave, and they hear whoosh, they look around, and he, he's out the window, <laughs> which gives Lucas a little bit of a flashback that doesn't make him real happy. And everybody else is like, "Where the hell did he go?" Because he's just gone, very Batman-esque. Um, and Tevin expected no less. Why would he waste time going down the stairs? He's Draven. He can hop out of a third-story, four-story window, and it's nothing. So again, after just a couple of hours, the chest of holding opens. Light comes out. Draven motions up, and the four travelers, because Michael's down there unconscious, Dandy, Mercy, Artemis, and Ulrich climb out of the chest. Shrink it back up, prepare themselves to go. Artemis says goodbye to Draven. Draven promises to look after their son and look over Serenity. says that to both her and Mercy. He'll do everything he can to make sure that Serenity is protected, but does wish that they hopefully return home as soon as possible. With that, they leave the guard post next, because they're in the guard post. The guards are like, we don't know what's going on. But Draven shows up and, you know, outside the guard post, and all of a sudden Artemis and then pop out. The guards are like, okay, well, that's our leader. They have their key with them. They brought one with them, because they have two keys, remember. They brought one with them, and they open up the portal. They always try to leave one in case whoever is in charge of Paxwall needs to send help through or open up the portal for whatever reason. Usually one of the knights will have control of it. In this situation, it is uh, Quan, uh, who will not be leaving Serenity Keep itself. Uh, Unless it's an over-crazy emergency, his job right now is to stay and be the primary one in charge of serenity, with the knight's helping. So they go, and they go through the portal, come out the other side. They're now walking up the stairs outside of the ruins that was that flying citadel from so long ago. And they... uh, I can't sit on my book. Come here, over here. He wants to sit on my book. You can't sit on my book. Sit on the chair. Um, <laughs> so it's one of those things where he's like, they're like, okay, cool. We can climb out of there. And they leave the valley. Now, as soon as they're out of the valley, because the valley itself has a road leading down to it now. As soon as they go up that road to the top of the hill, there's a small town there. No one's allowed to build in the valley itself. Plus the ghosts and stuff pop up and the spirits and it spooks people out. But there is... Uh, Valley's Edge is the villi- uh, village that's there with inns and such. And that's where the main road starts, allowing them to start booking it to Paxwell. Uh They do not have horses, but Mercy's Coin... They very quickly buy horses from the first place they can find. And immediately the four of them start booking it to Paxwell. Um So, yes... It takes a while, of course, for them to get there, although it's much faster than it used to be. Um, yes. And they uh, they finally get to Paxwell. What's Midnight doing? Oh, he's just sitting over on the chair having a bath. He was walking across in front of me trying to sit on my book, and I, I can't have that. But they do travel. It still takes them a, a, almost a week and a half to get there, even at the speed that they're traveling. Um, and they hurry as quickly as they can. Uh, we get to Paxwall, which, as usual, is a bustling city. Um, most people know of Mercy and Artemis. The guards at the gate see Artemis. Even you know, if they don't recognize Mercy, they see an elven cleric of healing. They're just, you go on in, you're good. You know No one's going to question that. Um, and they have two choices, of course. The temple and the mage tower. While her first thought is to take Michael there, Artemis is having faith in the, in the clerics, um... Dandy makes the decision that no she wants to take him to the mage tower. She thinks that this is more of a that kind of a thing than a healing thing. She goes, "I cuz she's like, "Wherever I we go, if I'm if we're wrong, then we're we're wasting time that could cost him his life." And they're like, "You guys you got to kind of make a choice here, Dandy. We think it, you know, what do you think we should do?" And Dandy makes the choice to take him to the mage tower. And that was the actual situation. Mercy thought it would be best to go to the mage tower. Artemis thought it would be best to go to the cleric, uh cleric's thing and The young lady who played uh, Dandy had to make that choice. Are these things emerge Worlds that are because you were inspired by a person, animal, or thing from real life? Sometimes. That's a very good question. Um, Some of the people um, are inspired by people that I know. uh, Maybe actors or characters that I've seen in other places. Um, The magic items and artifacts are pretty much all mine. The original artifacts weren't. Uh, Some of you may... I've noticed that when we talked about those original god artifacts, I never ran into much detail of what they were or what they did. Uh, Because when I first found those, when I first made those, was when I was really first DMing when I was younger, and a lot of those were based on magic items and artifacts I'd read in books and things, um, before I started learning to make homebrew and make everything my own. Some of it was was taken from Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms and things like that. Uh, A lot of the names that I use are from people that I know or from customers I talk to on call centers. Uh, I always kept a notepad with me, uh, and when somebody would come through, I pull up their account. If they had a cool name, I'd write it down. Um, so a lot of these, a lot of the interesting names that seem very made up, are real people's first names or last names that I've come across in the world. That I thought would be a cool name for a character or a last name for a character. Um, the gods are all the gods are pretty much uh, all original designs. Uh, I mean, just they weren't based on anybody, with the exception of Tavian, God of Healing, who I designed after House M.D. The TV show. Hugh Laurie was always my inspiration for that character. Um, hey, Patchy. Uh, so he was—he was always that inspiration. Um, and then Pandora, Goddess of Deception, which we've dealt with. That's who Orimon worships. She's the cat goddess. Um, I had a cat named Pandora for 16 years, who passed away a couple years ago. Um, And she was named after my kitty. A black cat named Pandora. Artemis was designed by the uh, young lady who played the character. They created their own characters. I didn't design those, so I'm not sure if they designed them after something they read or heard about. Uh, They created their own characters. I helped them with their histories and and backstory uh, a little bit, but they they created all of their characters. Um, So... Yeah, they make their own names. They design their own characters. They roll the dice and see what classes they want to play. Uh, but they got to put all that together. We worked together to make sure that it was a well-rounded party. But that wasn't very hard. Artemis, gotcha. Uh, Artemis is very commonly a male name in fantasy worlds, oddly enough. Um, but in in my life, I've met more Artemis that are, have, at least in our world, that are that are female with different spellings. So um, when she goes, I want to be Artemis, it was fine. me. everybody's like, that's a guy's name. I'm like, no, it's not. There are very few names that really have to be a guy name or girl name. If none, I mean, really, you could argue. Okay, so that was a good question. Thank you very much for that. Yes, things do pop up. Uh, occasionally, characters and such. Uh, sometimes it's coincidental. Um, like, I have a village named Moonbrook, and then World of Warcraft had a village named Moonbrook. I didn't design that because of World of Warcraft. I came across that World of Warcraft after I'd already designed it. But I guess some names just people think of, you know, common, common thoughts. But they roll on into uh, Paxiwal, and Dandy says, Okay, we're going to go to the wizard's tower first. want to take Michael there. Uh, So they do. Uh, They arrive. Already a message had arrived that they were coming. While the wizards that were there did not have the spells to teleport them all here, they did have a way of communicating, because you'd think they would. If you're in charge of building the new mange tower thousands of miles away, you're going to have to have some way to talk to people back home we need more supplies, we need more this. So they were able to say, hey, they're coming, so there's a little bit of information um, that they already know of what's happening here, what the mages would have told them. So they arrive, they show up, they're like, hey, this is who we are. They're like, we've been expecting you, come on in. Uh, they take them in, uh, inside the mage tower. Um, once they, they take them into a, a an actual bedroom-looking room for the first time, you know, normally they take them into that always that same one room, that little meeting room where they talk to Lamia. They've seen very little of the Mage Tower besides that. Um, but in this situation they're actually taken to a room that looks like a very nice bedroom. Uh, Mike, they've, Michael's brought out, set in the bed. Clearly no one stayed in here for a while, so we don't know if it was a guest room or what, but it's a, a room that looks like someone, a guest would stay. Um, and Michael is taken out. Ulrich and uh, Mercy bring him out and lay him comfortably on the bed. Dandy, of course, immediately check in to make sure he didn't get any scratches. His hair didn't get messed up. He's trying to make him look nice for the wizards. Um, uh, And they're advised that uh, Lamia is currently in a conference, but she'll be back in just a little while. Um, And she has left word that she needs the artifacts and she needs him left and they need to give her at least 24 to 48 hours and she'll send for them. Not a we need to hear the story. We need to know what's going on. It's a leave him here and I'll look into it. Which they were a little... Hmm, about. They ask about Tobias, who they're told is currently not in Pax of Wall, uh, though they, they're not sure where he was. he was. He was out doing something. And they're very sad to hear about that, because they really would have liked to have his uh, experience with magic items and artifacts as well. Well, they're like, okay, well, not else with much to do. They decide they will then head to the temple and give some information, you know, see what they can find out there if anyone can help, uh, plus check and see if Darsh has arrived yet. So... Uh, Let's see here. Where are we at? So they get to the temple, of course. They have their own room. They could have teleported back. Remember, they got their rings of teleportation. And that was something that the characters talked about. They decided not to do that. Because the fear was... They didn't know what magic spells and such... Might affect what's going on with Michael. That was a warning from the mage... That cast the spells. That too much... Even the, the, the realm gate itself... While being one of the most powerful things... On merged worlds um, have never been shown to show any negative effects to any other magic as long as you're not trying to (laughs) damage a realm gate. They learned very quickly that's not a good idea. Um, Because again, it's protected by Omniana, the (laughs) gods of chaos and order. You don't mess with that. Um, But they were afraid that teleporting or using the rings may have some kind of magical effect on that. They're already concerned with him being in the chest of holding. So they decide to book it by foot instead of teleport in. But they do go to Artemis' room, which you'll remember is now where they hide the obelisk because so they sold their old house because Molly now lives in Serenity and uh, while she has her own little house, uh, or she was offered her own little house, she decided to live in the, talk about this, in the temple, making pies and desserts and stuff for the temple. When they arrive there, they uh, Mara is quickly dispatched or is sent for and Mara meets them in the regular conferencing room. Uh, she doesn't know that Brother Bart, uh, is currently in Thorman, uh helping over in that kingdom you remember it went through some crap in the war a year and a half ago um, as well as uh, Brother Lycos is also away on temple business she does not elaborate any further um, but she hears their story and of course she knows Michael and these are their friends she's very upset about that and they talk about spells did we try this what about that and Artemis and her talk for a while while Dandy and Mercy just sit there with Ulrich and they're all like, okay, well, we just wait for you guys to have your magic talk. So, this gives them some time. Mara's like, of course, you're all welcome to stay here, 100%. And we'll get rooms for you immediately. You know, the, they've already left word when they left the Mage Tower. If you need us, find us here. And they're like, well, do we sit here and wait, or do we try and go find out more information and such ourselves? Um, they decide to just basically stay there. Dandy, of all people, is like, no, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here, so if they show up, I can go right there. Um, so, Dandy, in very many, uh, very, very. This, this situation is causing Dandy to act slightly undandy like, because it's not a situation, as a Kendra, she's ever had to deal with. Um, but it. But still played in a way that I would expect the character to do that. So in no way am I saying that she was played wrong. There is no wrong. Um, But playing a slightly against type in this situation is actually playing to type when the love of someone else overtakes your natural instincts. I would think. I've never had a loved one go into comatose state because the magical undead killing spear that they held broke while I was merged with it. So It's not something I've been in personally, but, you know, the knight is young. Um... So they kind of hang out. While they're there, they do get some information on the state of the world. Uh, They know some of this already from messengers, but they're able to get a little bit more from the horse's mouth and such while they're here. Um, This is the information that they learn. They learn that Oramon... Word has got that Oramon has finally settled down and that the rebellion has effectively been quelled. So while it took them uh, uh, over a year, Oramon has finally brought peace back to its land and the rebellion has been at least majority of the ways squashed. Um, That they still have, uh, Ormond still has massive amounts of troops on their border, um, which would be the border between Thormund and them, and Paxiwal keeps, uh, they're not like visibly like we're on two sides of a line, but they're still, they have built uh, what would be permanent town cities, garrisons, whatever, where they're, they're not far from their border should they need to come out in case they were to be attacked, because, of course, there's the concern that someone might try to use Oramon's problems against them, attack while they're in the middle of that. Uh, at the same time, of course, there's probably always the thought that they will eventually want to attack again. Uh, their navy has been pretty much banned. What few ships existed uh, are pretty much gone at this point. The navy of Paxawal, Cronear, uh, and Arduel together was too much for them, and what ships weren't sunk in battle have basically took off and haven't been seen in the waters in quite a while. The Kroniar Civil War just finally ended four months ago. It was actually much longer than the rest of the war. Uh, But they have heard through Darsh and through been Confirmed here that it is believed that the Blackhorn have been completely destroyed at this point. So much so that the Emperor took control of the Isle of Zithanth. The Isle of Anth was the home of that. They were the ones that were causing problems way back in the day, you'll remember. Um, and he's like, listen, this isn't going to work anymore. You've got your own little leader on your island. He goes, we're t- I'm taking your island. And he challenged the, the, the leader of that island as well, uh, which was High Lord Drollum, uh, to singles combat, was accepted, um, and in less than two minutes had killed him and taken his head. Um, which had hung on the wall for a while because the thought was, you know, it was giving the point like we know that this guy was allowing this traitorous stuff against the Empire, no more. And he put his own people in charge over there now. So Sathanth has been quelled as well and it is believed that the Black Horn have now been completely destroyed. Uh, Santriel, the elven kingdom is in open negotiations with Arduel I talked about that, they've actually opened up a little bit of trade, although uh, the elves come to the human lands, the humans are still not allowed in the woods Um, but they have some actual documentation down, they got some treaties, some specific things uh, that is making it a much more friendly relationship between them These are some of the things that they learned. Some of it they knew a bit about from Darst. They get a little more details on it. uh, What happened in specific dates, cities, wars, battles, things like that. Things that as leaders of their own city and allies to this, they really need those those updates. Um, It is almost 48 hours to the minute before a mage arrives at the temple, summoning them back to Lemia. They quickly take a carriage over there, supplied by the major. And they, they're they taken inside uh, to that same room. When they go up there, the room still looks like a bedroom, but it's been stripped down a little bit. Some of the things that's been moved out of the way, what was a dresser and such is now a table. There appears to be magic stuff where there was components where they were casting spells in here. Uh, so it kind of looks like a bedroom that's been also converted into a bit of a, a laboratory. Uh, because Artemis, or sorry, uh, Lamia needs her tools. Remember, Lamia... 67-year-old lady, now in the body of a 21-year-old. It happened to her when she went to the sands of time. She aged backwards, uh, whereas Tobias got a little bit older, and then they ended up becoming a thing, because they were just the two of them stuck in the sands for a year and a half, which was a month of characters' time. Time is all wonky in merged worlds. Why is it wonky? That's for later. Okay, so, um, but that is something we address. Um, so she summons them, they go up there and I'll be honest, she does not look pleased now normally that would be a sign that something bad has happened but no one's ever seen Lamia look pleased (laughs) even as a young 21 year old 22 year old, she still looks like she's miserable all the time Uh, cute, but unhappy Um, some chairs have been brought in there uh, expecting them, they're given a place to sit Dandy of course goes and sits on the bed next to Michael and checks on him checking to make sure they didn't do any weird things like take his eyeball out or take his fingers off to test him. She didn't really put those threats on us, but she was concerned. Um, so it's very, very... Uh, but he's okay. Physically, there was no changes. Turtle asks, how do they do anything in secrecy? Like, go to a pub and find information. Seriously, people don't know who our main group is. They must be... Have- right! And in that situation, they didn't leave the temple. They literally were just asking clerics and getting information from Sister Mara herself. They don't do much in secrecy in Uh Thorman." You know, I mean, it's just like anything else. Anybody put on some old clothes, pull a hood up over your head, you may not notice who the person is. As long as they're not wearing the Serenity armor and signet rings and all that stuff. Artemis is going to have the hardest time hiding because she's a really, really attractive elf with long golden hair and blue robes. No one's going to... Kender could be dressed up to look like Artemis's kid because they look like small elves um, Sometimes. And Artemis, if she's willing to hide the robes and such, could look like she's an elven something else. Maybe a bard. Something of that nature. Not everybody knows what people's face are as much as they know their names and titles. Right? Because back then, there's no TV. Anything you heard is word of mouth. I've heard 50 stories about Artemis. All I know is it's an elf lady. An elf lady walks up. It could be her. It could be somebody else. It's hard to know. Uh, It's literally the same group of people saving the world every time. Yes. But a lot of times, that saving the world thing, nobody knows about that. Like, nobody knows about... Artemis' quest to fight Daedalus, except for their friends. That had no effect on the rest of the world, except for Darkmoor up there. He learned about it. actually helped him. Um, the stuff that happened to gladiators, that kind of stuff. Fighting Omniana, whether or not, hey, there's some new gods out there may not have been something that uh, the, the temple and the cities really wanted to let out to the populace very quickly. Some of that information might have been kept a little hushed. But yes, they're definitely known for their assistance, and they're known as the leaders of a city at this point. Mercy is the equivalent of of a lord or queen, uh, for all intents and purposes. Artemis is a high cleric of her own temple, so they're notable people, for sure. Uh, But again, especially with magic and disguises, it's not too hard to hide if they really need to. They just haven't had to. Um, Good question. Thank you. Um, So, uh, Lamia says that uh, she's confirming Angus's diagnosis. Michael's soul is trapped inside the pieces of Menandra. When he merges with Menandra literally part of him goes into that and part of her comes out to him it's the magic inside is, is living it's intelligent and they become one and that, that essence flows between the two items um, and it doesn't have to be physically touched if he drops Menandra or gets knocked out of his hand as long as it's within a certain range that connection still stays he's knocked unconscious it's going to go away you know, that kind of thing. Which is odd that his hair stayed the white, because it was stopped mid-transformation, and it was severed. Uh, They did Menandra wasn't able to, because both Michael and Menandra have the ability to release. The other one can fight to stop that from happening. Menandra could fight against Michael, and Michael has to basically, it's an inner battle, and should one of the heroes do that, that would be a thing they'd have to do as well. Um, same as if Menanda's trying to let go and Michael doesn't want to, he could be fighting domain control of that. Maybe he needs that power. Menandra's like, these aren't undead, I don't care. He's like, no, I'm fighting a dragon, I need you. You know, It could be that kind of thing. So This was severed before either one could leave that link. There is no recorded is- instance of them ever having to fight each other because they're so alike in desires and Menandra wants to keep them alive fighting a dragon so they can kill more undead, but that is something that they're both aware of and they, Michael has told that to Dandy though most everybody else doesn't know that. Dandy knows that a little bit herself from when she merged with Menandra because Menandra was not real, at that time, real hesitant to let go because she didn't know what was going on. But she confirms that. She also confirms how overwhelmingly rare it is for a broken magic item or artifact of any kind to still retain as much magical power that is in there. Um, with her spells and with what she's done she's been able to measure the magic fading and she estimates that there is going to be at most one year before the magic in Menandra will completely fade and Michael's soul will be lost forever so they have to find a way to get his soul out of Menandra within a year Sounds like a whole lot of time. That shouldn't be a problem at all, right? We good? I will take the unanswered of my question as yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I miss that? Which part of the question did I miss? Uh, literally the same group. Here. It is literally the same group. Hello. Hello, Xbox. Oh, they need to rebuild Menandra. Yes. That's what we're getting to. Yes. So the only way she can think of doing that is they have to somehow repair Menandra. And she said that is no easy feat. Menandra is one of the most powerful artifacts she's ever seen, just due to its nature. And it is old, much, much older than anyone else really knows. Oh, uh, you sounded sarcastic. I'm not sure what part I sounded sarcastic to. I apologize. Yes, they do have to rebuild it, 100%. Yes. Um, But yes, it's one of those things that, yes, we we do have to repair it. Um, But, she goes, it's not something that I can do. There are two parts to this. First, physically, Menander needs to be repaired. She goes, that's not something, oh, the thing taking a year? Oh yeah, that part sounded sarcastic? Maybe I'm being sneaky. Maybe I'm not. (laughs) Um, But they're saying, repairing it, it needs to be repaired perfectly. Someone of the same caliber who built the original one has to repair it. And then she goes, and this is overwhelmingly expert. She goes, I would kill to get my hands on this type of quality item. for they are magic items and artifacts that I make. This is some of the highest quality work I've ever seen. She goes, I can't say for sure, but I believe, just from my own studying, that it looks dwarven in nature. Which is odd, because dwarves don't do a lot of work in wood. Which is the second thing. She's never seen a wood like this before. She's seen Menander many times, but she's never really got to play with it or cast spells. You know, Michael doesn't just unask that to anybody. Um, so it's one of those things where um, they have to... She goes, it's a wood I've never seen or heard of. Looks like it was made by dwarves, who don't normally mess with wood. Has to be expertly repaired. And then once it is, then we have to find a way to re-enchant, to bring Menander back whole again. She goes, which in itself is a challenge. She goes, because I can tell you no wizard made this. This is clerical magic on a level I've never seen before. She goes, just seeing it, I always assumed it was weird. When I get in here, this is clerical magic, which is why I'm, I go, I can't reproduce this. I don't know who could. Michael is a friend. You're all friends. And I want to, she goes, this. To me, honest this looks like one of the most challenging puzzles I've ever had in my life when it comes to magic and artifacts. I'm going to help you every way that I can. It's going to take me some time to try to find out how to make this happen. Physically, I need you to find a way to get it rebuilt and refixed perfectly. And while you're doing that, I will do my very best to find a way to get it re-enchanted again. But I don't know how long that's going to take. And I don't know how long it's going to take you to get it repaired. But that has to be your number one goal right now. And she's constantly stressing. Not just anybody can do this. I don't know. You have to find a a, a worksmith, a a woodsmith. It doesn't have to be dwarven. It can be elven. It can be gnome. Whatever. It has to be somebody who can reproduce this perfectly. Any flaw. And this won't work. Uh, Also, what exactly is Menandra? Is it a person's soul or something? It sounds like Menandra has a conscience. So in Dungeons & Dragons... Um, some magic items, more commonly artifacts, can be known as intelligent weapons, uh, or intelligent artifacts. Uh, they have a, for all intents and purposes, a soul. They're not, doesn't necessarily mean they were ever a living person. The magic item itself could create the magic itself could have been so powerful that it created its own consciousness. Um, how that's done can depend purely on how the artifact was created. Um... Major, someone dying may have put their last breath into that. Or, uh, again, the magic was just so powerful by God creating it, it created a soul um, inside of that item. But they are intelligent. Um, They very often are emotional. They'll hate, or they'll love, or they'll be jealous, depending on what type of of item it is. And that will definitely uh, determine a lot of how the consciousness reacts. Uh, Some of them are very... Robot-like. You know, you'll get some that'll be like it's it's intelligent. It'll be like it'll be like yes, I can do this. Can you attack this? Yes, I can. What's that over there? I'm sensing five people behind the wall. It could be just like that. And then some of them, like Menandra, has emotions and talks like a person would. Um, who hates undead and is very protective of its wielder. Uh, Xbox says good night, Draven. I'm tired. Have yourself a good one, Xbox. We will catch you later, sir. Have yourself a good evening. <clears throat> Thank you for coming by. So it's, magic items themselves are not a person per se, but they have the mental thoughts, and so some do. And it's rare. It's not common. Um, there are very few magical items in the d books that you're going to pull out that have that. You're going to have to look at artifacts specifically. Um, so it could have been created as a cleric, possibly died fighting undead, moved their soul into the blade, possibly a, 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 a high cleric could have been casting it, and again the god themselves, who who you? Because know, remember, they pray for that power, and the God themselves put a bit of themselves in there, or they could have created so much power at once that a soul was born from that magical explosion. There's a lot of different ways that can happen, and for a character to try to make a magical artifact itself is an ungodly. It's a quest. It's a whole series to get the things you need and the materials, and they have to be perfect. It's not easy to do. To give it any type of intelligence is the utmost challenging thing when it comes to creating a magic item. Uh, Sometimes it happens without you planning it. And sometimes you can plan it all you like and it won't happen. Um, For a wizard to get to that point, it'll take it. Uh, I'm guessing you don't actually have a Monanda backstory. I have a backstory for everything, Turtle. And I'll say that sarcastically. I have a backstory for everything. I know what Molly was doing when she was a teenager. I know what Lucas did in his early twenties, and I don't mean that sarcastically. I have books of all of this, because I wanted when I, when I came up with the idea, I wanted to make sure that I played those characters true to their original thing. And I, some characters don't have much of a backstory, right? The princess who's now the queen of Thorman. I know her story, the the, mother, the stepmother, so on and so forth, but she, that was it. That's really the depth she has. Nothing ever important beyond that needed to be there for her. But some people have a history that's more important, and I have, again, books over here of a lot of that stuff. Sometimes I have every item they own written on a piece of paper, because it matters. Uh, so I didn't mean that sarcastically or like, I'm awesome. I literally have to have that knowledge to make these stories work. You guys, I'm not a road. You guys are going to have to get down. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Alright. Um... Uh, hi, Patrick, okay. Uh, hey, Draven, something has come up, and we have to go, but I'll definitely... All right, Jim, have yourself a good one, sir. We'll catch you and Ashley later. Hope you have yourselves a good evening. All right, so back into it, back into it. So they learn about this, uh, let's see. So the first step is fixing Menander. Have to find someone who can repair it. Uh, if it's incorrectly de- repaired, it will actually destroy Menander, strip it of its magic, and Michael will be lost forever. She says that she's unsure if she's able to cast any spells that could magically fix it because it was not originally mages who made it. But she is going to research and find out anything she can to try to help them in this. But their primary goal is to make Menandras uh, physically repaired. Uh, is Menandras' backstory going to come up in this quest? It may, a little bit. We'll have to see. Again, I don't like to give too much about what's going to come up ahead because sometimes that can give up important story points. Uh, although for that one, it, it might. I, I'd have to look... Snippets of it, might. Alright. One second while you get uh, a York Peppermint Patty. My throat's getting a bit dry. Alright. Um, so Lamia's first step, and she says, well, I'll get to work on this. You guys have best of luck. I would recommend you go to the market, talk to the different tradesmen. Remember this tradesmen from all the different uh, elves and there's the minotaur and human. Go talk to people and see if you can find someone who's good enough to do the work we need. And she helps explains kind of what they're looking for. They give them an idea of what how it would physically need to be repaired. She gives them some sketches and things. And they have to take Menander with them, which she hates because she'd love to have it there to, to be able to, to study more. But if they find someone, then you need fix. So Menander goes to them. She keeps the sickle. She mentions that it is also a magical artifact, but she does not believe it can be repaired. Um, but she is going to research more about it just in case it helps them. So immediately they're like, okay, we appreciate that. And while Dandy hates to say goodbye to Michael, she's like, okay, we got to go get this fixed. Dandy's on a mission and they start heading towards um, the marketplace. So they spend the rest of the day, most of it, going around from section to section. They go to the gnome section, well, there's not always a section. There's a section that's pretty much each race group where they kind of gravitate to, but there is, in you know, the middle of it's all just anybody. And humans and stuff can still flit in anywhere, but a lot of times you'll find much of the same race group uh, in, in close proximity. Because you're looking for that style of goods, that's where you're going to go. So discussing with the different groups, this is the information that they find. Uh, they talk to several gnome craftsmen who will offer to repair it at a very low cost and promise that they can make it much better. They decline that. Because <laughs> remember, gnomes uh, as a whole are tinkers, and they'll come back and it'll have a scope you know, <laughs> something like that, you know, a hand grip that it wasn't there before that they think would be better, that kind of stuff. They went to the Minotaur section, uh, who, by the way, Darsh is not here. They did check. He's not here yet. Go to the Minotaur, uh, who re- uh, who refused to work on it. They look at it, and then they're like, okay, we don't do a lot of wood stuff either. I can tell that's really good stuff, but yeah, that's not something we do. They weren't rude about it, like, it's, we're not interested. Because again, even most of the Minotaur recognize these guys. You know, back to Turtle's earlier comment, it's these people are. You see the cleric, the lady warrior, and the Kender lady. These three ladies have been involved in a lot of stuff, especially in AR, friend of Darsh. Uh, they all know Darsh, of course, so they're probably going to know these ones as well. Human craftsmen say that they uh, that they can attempt it, though they don't. Nobody that they've spoken to so far knows what type of wood that is. Uh, they said, that we could try to repair it, but we'd have to use a different type of wood. I've, I've just never seen anything like that. And uh, The price can differ depending on who they ask, but they didn't feel real comfortable with any of those either. But every person that they talk to says the same thing. The craftsmanship is unequaled and incredibly good. And though it's rare for dwarves to craft wood, it has all the earmarks of some type of dwarven, although never, never seen anything quite like it. Which sounds odd, because you'd think it's, it's a stick with a spearhead on the end. Well, the end of it, remember, is this sharp, crystal-looking spearhead. It's super hard and crazy sharp, but it looks crystal-like. Uh, and then there's bindings to that. There are hand grips on there that are bound. And the wood itself, when you get up close it, it has very thin etchings and runes all over the thing. Um, it's very, very... <laughs> Flamethrower sword from the... Exactly. You don't know when you get from Tinkers. It may be fun, uh, but it probably won't be beneficial... As much as it hurts you. We <laughs> have some fun with that. Which reminds me, I have my first gnome character. Oh, no, my, yeah, my first gnome character is going to be popping out uh, on the Instagram this week, and that's Gasket, Darsh's uh, navigator and tinker gnome. Um, so, okay. So, the last people they spoke with, of course, were the uh, the, the minotaur. And <laughs> LEDs were the minotaur is basically like you need to go talk to the dwarves. They respect these guys. They don't, they're still aren't big fans of humans and kenders and elves and such, but they do still worship a cleric of any... I mean, they're they're respectful to clerics, I should say. And they're like, we know who you are. We know what you're looking for. You need to go talk to the dwarves. They're a small group. There's not a lot of them. They're in that corner over there. I would recommend you ask for Jeb. That's what the one of the Minotaur says. And they're like, Jeb? Or, yeah, Jeb kind of... You don't see him much, but he kind of runs that section. I would talk to Jeb this information, and they figured dwarves were probably where they are going to end up, but they've been, you know, they want to check everywhere, they want to take chances, and they've been kind of going around the marketplace from the temple, and the dwarves sections in the back corner kind of thing. I actually have a map somewhere, I'll dig it out for you guys. All right, so they head over there and they ask to, to the first dwarf they come across, and they ask to speak with Jeb Stonebottom, which is the name of Jeb the Minotaur, or the, the dwarf. Uh, at first, they're like, okay, well, give us a moment. And the dwarves go back, and an old dwarf comes out. A very old dwarf. Very old. Grayed hair, his beard is very long and gray and in cool braids. You can tell this guy's been around for a long time. It's hard to guess a dwarf's age. Because different dwarf nations will have different maximum ages. And then different worlds can affect that as well. So Jeb shows up, and uh, a couple other elder dwarves come with him. And, uh, you know, they basically ask. They're like, You come to speak to us? What can we do for you? They don't seem to know who they are. And, of course, they're respectful more to Artemis than anything else. You see Artemis, you immediately assume, okay, this warrior is her protection, and that is going to steal everything we own. So, most of the dwarves are watching Dandy. Jeb and the other old ones are kind of talking to Artemis and Mercy. And. They begin to explain part of their story. Once they say who they are, the dwarves are like, oh, okay, we've heard of you um, a little bit. I mean, you can't live here and not hear about the events and such. So, okay, Artemis from the temple there. You use a lot of dwarven craftsmen, because it's a remember, it's a dwarf who owns the construction company that's built most of Serenity. And Jeb's like, you've given my people a lot of work. We appreciate that, you know. Send that money home kind of thing. Um, but there's no real dwarven kingdoms anywhere near here. So dwarves kind of all come in here, but the dwarves in this section aren't always from the same world. They explain the Menandra issue, and once they start talking about Menandra, the dwarves are very interested. They're like, you say it's wood, and everyone tells you it's dwarven not impossible. We're the best craftsmen in any type of medium. And he doesn't say that egotistically. He says it from just a fact. And we make all the best crafting stuff. And the dwarves are like, that's true. That's true. If we did make something from wood, it probably would be the best. Elves would probably dispute that, but other than that, elves and dwarves most of the time are the best overall craftsmen. But specialty craftsmen almost always turns out to be human. It's almost always a human that somehow makes that one perfect thing that they can never reproduce and it causes so much help or hell to the world. So they ask to see Manandra, and they take it out and they, they give it to him. And immediately his eyes are bugged out, and he gently takes it and he, they set it down on the. So one of them clears off a table real quick and rolls out this clean piece of leather and they gently set it down. And you could tell by their eyes that they've seen something like this. D and D question: Can every race become a cleric on merged worlds? Yes. In original D and D, no. Um, in original D and D: Certain races have certain class restrictions. I think that's crap, so I don't do that. Um, but it can be a little bit harder for them to be certain clerics. Um, but yes, it's possible. You want to be a minotaur bard? Yes. You want to be a, a, a minotaur cleric of gardening, like uh, uh, Kelvin is? Like yeah, that's doable. You know, these things can happen. Hello, kitty. So they're very, very, very careful. So Draven. Could be a cleric. Anybody could be a cleric... um, If they want to give up their current life... Because again... the cleric determines what type of weapons you have... You know... All that kind of stuff... It's possible... If that person person wanted to do that... Yes... In Dungeons & Dragons a lot of that uh, would be called... Dual classing... So... Dual classing is when you have a class... You're a warrior... And you decide... Now you want to be a wizard... You're a level 10 warrior. You now give up every skill and ability you have as a warrior. You still have your hit points and things of that nature. But you basically are now a level 1 mage. And you're going to level that mage up and you eventually will pass the warrior and you're now a mage. But you still have some of those warrior skills that don't conflict with your mage. A mage is not going to start using a sword. Unless they're a battle mage. Something special to merge worlds. But again, in situations these things happen. So that's dual Now, multi-classing is different. Multi-classing is when you start as several classes at the same time. So you're level one fighter, mage, thief. And your experience is divided evenly among them. So as you're leveling up you're gaining abilities in specific classes in different ways. So you may get a level in rogue but not in wizard. At least that's based on second edition. Uh, Elemental just says in 5e any race can be clerics and you have but you have disadvantages with the stat bonus. So that makes sense. So uh, that's something that they definitely fixed. Second edition did not. So I would say that's that's a good boon. I've heard that fifth edition fixed a lot of the earlier stuff uh but did mess up other things. So I'm interested to see what they do. I started looking into those books today because by the end of this month I'm going to have out my first episode of Behind the Dice. So I've been looking at some of the 5th edition stuff to talk about it. Um, so Jeb is, uh, you know, asks, where did you find this? What do you know about it? Give me all the information. Leave out no detail. And they basically, Artemis and Mercy are like, alright. And Dandy walks up. And then Dandy tells the tale. And immediately everybody's like, oh god, it's a Kendra story. Uh, And for the first time in her life, Dandy gives every detail, stoic, doesn't stray into fun stuff, although sometimes you can see her like, no, i got to stay serious, it keeps going. She is of the utmost, I've got to save my husband. Because you know she's the hero of the family, really. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, so she's you know that kind of thing. And so she she she's again against character is much more serious. And the dwarves are taken. Okay, this is serious business. A Kenders being serious. Hit us with the details. She knows more about it than anybody else does from all the things Michael's told her. They give all the history, and so much. And Jeb looks at it, and he says, "I need a I, I need just a few minutes. I need to I need to speak with some people for a few minutes. Please wait here." They leave under They don't try to take it right here. And he goes off and the other dwarves, they go to the back and dwarves are talking. You see hands coming up and some people are shaking no and some people are like hmm and they're chatting and they can tell that there's a serious conversation going on between these elder dwarves. After about ten minutes Jeb comes back with the other dwarves. Most of the dwarves seem like they're okay. A couple of them don't seem real happy with what's about to happen. But Jeb says there's only one dwarf that he knows. Who could do the quality of work that the PCs need. The characters. He goes, I've only ever seen one man. A dwarf, of course. Who could do this quality of work. Who has a chance of rebuilding this back the way it was. He goes, undoubtedly this is dwarven. Never seen. He goes, I've never seen such beautiful work. In wood or stone. This is some of the most amazing work I've ever seen. I can't reproduce it. And he goes, and that's he goes, that's no small thing to admit. He goes, my skills are, you know, in honesty, very good. I wouldn't dream of trying to touch this because I would not do it the justice it deserves. You need to speak with Duberin Hammersmith. Again, some of the dwarves just like don't seem real happy about that. And they chat a little bit in Dwarven. And he's like, no, nope, I'm telling this. It's not treats time. Come on, down. He says, and they, they chat a little bit in Dwarven for a second. He turns back, he goes, Dubrin is, you could say, retired. And he's an older gentleman as well. Um, but he lives on the outskirts of the Dwarven city of Koromin. That is K-H-O-R-O-M-I-N. lives in the Dwarven city of Coroman, which none of these people have ever heard of. They've never heard of a Dwarven city. Jeb continues to then tell them that <coughs> Coroman is to the east, past the elven lands. You'll get to an area that is very uh, rocky and mountainous and cracked, and this giant rock sticking out of the water and such and it's very dangerous. Ships can't go in there. You got to go around it to, to go beyond that. Most of the southern kingdoms, Arduel, you know, Paxwall, those guys, don't go that direction because there's such a huge space of nothing there except this dangerous rock. You got to go pretty out deep into the waters to get around it, and what exploration has gone that way has never really found anything of value on the other side. Uh Darsh has even looked out that direction and found no reason to go that way. And they're like, well, how far is it past those rocks? And he says, ah, but it's not past the rocks, you see. It's inside of them. Coroman is in the center of a large mountain range where it was originally very difficult to get to. Huge mountains. Only dwarves could get there. <laughs> Probably not true, but he's now telling a tale and all the dwarves are nodding and rubbing their beards like, yes, yeah, epic says, Corman is now hidden in in that same mountain range, but when the merge happened, part of the mountains disappeared and an ocean came washing up through the chasms and filling up large amounts of it and the rocks and remains of what was the mountains fell below the sea. So this was much higher land is lower now. The water kind of rushed in a little bit in some of the area. He says that the great cliffs at the oceans is a maze of breaks and passageways and tunnels that most ships could never make through if they didn't know the way. The waterways are overwhelmingly dangerous. One second. Catfight. This hidden dwarven kingdom um, has a land route that you could get there but it would take months of travel up and around the elven lands and such. He goes, I, I know there because I'm, I'm from there. Uh, it would take you, f- you know, with the timetable you're giving me, you'd never get there and get this done in time. He says that uh, this rock area, again, you imagine like a rocky cliff face, really high, really high, and there's breaks in it, and it looks like just thin tunnels and such, but maybe you uh, slide in there. Um, where did that name come from? Coroman? I don't remember. I'll be honest, I don't remember where I got Coroman from. It sounded very dwarven to me. It might have been someone's last name. I can't say that for sure. But I remember I really liked it. And so I made it the first dwarven kingdom of merge worlds. Because we haven't had a lot of dwarf action. Right? The only dwarf closest we've got to dwarf action in any of these stories was Fig, who was a gnome who was raised by dwarves. Right? There has not been really any dwarven stuff going on. Uh, So it was time to bring dwarves into the story. Um, So he says again, most uh, ships would be lost or destroyed trying to travel within the reef. That's the nickname the dwarves have given this mountain range of water. Oh, the guy's name? Oh, uh, Duberin Hammersmith? I don't remember that either. Again, this was probably eight to nine years ago at this point. So I apologize. I, I don't remember exactly where that guy's name came from some of the names I don't remember specifically unless they were based off of somebody like I personally know none of the Dwarves are based off people I I know Well, well one there's one dwarf based off of a character but he's he's later um, he says Corman is now hidden in this mountain range uh, against the east past uh, most ships would never be able to get through the reef which is what the uh, the the Dwarves call this section of water and rocks Um... Let's see. Uh, he says that Dubrin lives there and is the only one he knows who could possibly fix Menandra. Though whether he will, or what it may cost, Jeb could not begin to ask. Or to to, to guess. Couldn't begin to guess. And they're like, and the character's like, how come we've never heard of Corman? How come that's never popped up before? Dwarven Kingdom, on the other side of the elves. The elves haven't mentioned it. And, uh, they're like, well, we, we, you know, he's like, it's, it's assumed the elves have probably know of its existence, though they would have had to climb a lot of mountains on the eastern side of their, uh, their, their forest. They'd have to leave their forest. Elves don't travel much, you see. They don't like to leave their woods if they can help it. Um, although, what the characters and we know about their talons, you know, their, their group of special spy elves, they probably know where it is. Uh, hello, TV. Thanks for coming by. But. They probably know where it is, but you know they may not have ever been in there. It's going to be hard for an elf to just go. Remember, we talked about the the pins they wear that help them blend in. An elf's not going to be walking around a dwarven kingdom without somebody noticing that. That's it's too far out, like a dwarf, like a minotaur trying to walk through a human thing. It's just going to stand out too much. So they're like, okay, they're like, okay. Well, how do we get there? Well, he goes, you you probably can't. I mean, I'm telling you, it's it's incredibly dangerous. You would need a guide. And I think I know a dwarf who can get you there. The other dwarves, again, you can see some of the dwarves are not real happy. Even the ones that seemed happy are now starting to look a little nervous about this. He goes, there's a, he goes, there's a dwarf that works here named uh, Turvin, who's actually from Cormen as well. He goes, as I am, though many, many of the younger dwarves here are not from our kingdom. Uh, the older ones obviously are by the way they're acting um, says that uh Turvin could guide you through the through the waters he's traveled through there a lot if you have you'd need a ship and it would have to have someone that knows how to you really expertly pilot it you're not just this is not for just anybody luckily they know a guy with a boat so they offer okay they said uh, he goes i'll arrange for Turvin to take you there And as they go to wake... as They're like, okay, thank you. We'll make arrangements. And he goes, yeah, I can have Turban ready for you as soon as you let me know when the ship is ready. And they go to leave and Dandy stops. And he turns and and, she she has Menander in her hands and she's wrapped it up and it's wrapped in the... Because it's a big spear, right? To her, she's like holding two really big long sticks and Mercy takes them and they're carrying them. They don't let people see them pop in and out of the chest of holding. They don't want people to know they have that. That's not normally out and about. Um, Although a lot of people in Serenity know about it. Not everybody here. Uh, so they're carrying these big sticks and she stops and she turns and she goes, why aren't you charging us? And Jeb, who turned to leave, stops and says, what's that, lass? He goes, you're not charging us anything. You're sending us, you're giving a guide, you're doing all this, but you haven't asked for anything. Why? And he's like, oh, well, you know, if someone's in need and this and that. And She stops, and she, Danny turns the the, the hands the piece of menander at mercy and steps back up to him. He goes, That's bullshit. Why aren't you charging us? With just a dead serious face. And the dwarves are a little affronted by this, except Jeb, who looks a little nervous. And he's like, I, I alright, alright. I guess you you deserve to know exactly what you're walking into. Corman is a kingdom kind of under siege. Um uh, there's, he goes, I can't say much of it because even I don't really know a lot of the details, but I can tell you this, that uh, something they need help there, and they word came out a while ago that they would need some, anyone new, for all powerful, strong adventurers and such of the Dwarven type called back home, he goes, I'm too old to jump into that kind of stuff myself, and I know that some heeded the call, and by then, of course, many of the people have left Corman and gone their own ways um every so often the call comes back out and we haven't heard but we haven't heard anything for six months um and well i've heard enough about you to know that you have a habit of getting your hands involved in other people's business uh much to their benefit you're clearly capable of taking care of yourselves i don't see why maybe we couldn't assist each other danny nods her head And then turns and takes a piece of Enandra and starts to walk. And Artemis and Mercy are like, okay. And they're walking and they're like, how did you know something was wrong? He goes, dwarves never, ever bargain without charging something. She goes, can we trust him then? And Dandy nods. She goes, yeah, he was telling the truth. He goes, that's a good, she she goes, I think we can trust him enough that they want our help. So I think that's an opening. What's that? Uh, Your accent just came out? Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to do it. When I talk dwarven, it very, very much comes out as the worst Scottish accent ever. Because all dwarves are Scottish. Nothing in the world will ever change that. I don't care what world they're from. All dwarves have a Scottish accent. And it takes everything I have not to speak in one. Because it's not a good accent. I don't do it well. I don't want to insult anybody who's an actual Scot. But... I, when we're playing the game, it has a habit of coming out a lot more. Um, so they're like, Yeah. She goes, She goes, She goes, Now that I know, he goes, What he said was the truth. She goes, Now I can trust him. And they're like, Okay. And it's, again, it's not often that Dandy takes the, the the spot in this. And I was very, very proud of the young lady who played Dandy because I hadn't planned that. I knew this information. I hadn't planned on telling him that. And she literally was like, I stop and I go back and I say, why aren't you charging us anything? And I'm like, didn't even cross my mind at that point that doors would almost always ask for you know, money for the information or bargain or something. And she caught on to that and I didn't even think about it. And I'm like, I tried to play it off. And she's like, no, no, that's bullshit. What's the reason? And I was like... All right, yeah, you kind of got it out of me. Sure, I'll tell you a little more than I'd planned on it, and so the characters were like, "Okay, we're still—we don't have any choice. We still need this guy to do the thing, but at least we kind of know what we're walking into now." So it a—that was, was a very cool uh, character play on her part because she was being a kender and using her kender knowledge, but still being in a very serious mood because of the situation. Um, I was very, very proud of that. She did a very good job at that point. Use the accent. The accent's horrible. Uh, <laughs> so. They're um, now at this point it's just a matter of waiting on Darsh. Right? So they go back to the uh, Temple. Uh, the Temple, Sister Mara, of course, makes arrangements so that should Darsh's any of Darsh's ships, because he only has the Morganstern and the uh, lady the Miss Dandelion, but the Miss Dandelion's too far away, it would never make it in this time. So the Morganstern's the one they're waiting on, although he is in the process of purchasing another ship, and as I mentioned earlier, designing and building one of his own. So he's going to have some more ships here soon. He's got money. Um, I don't care. Even a terrible Scottish accent. Maybe to you, but maybe not to people from Scotland. I don't want to insult anybody. (laughs) I don't want to do disservice to the people. I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of Scots. Again, my family is Scottish descent. Uh, I would love to go to Scotland. And I just don't want to do anything to piss off people who genuinely have an awesome accent. My favorite accent. Followed immediately by Australia. I really like Australian accents as well. Nothing against anybody else who has an accent. I'm just naming some of my favorites. I like all accents. I've never heard one I don't like. Those are just my favorites. Okay. Um, So, as Dandy is heading back to the temple with everybody else, um, she's walking along and she doesn't say anything. She doesn't nod. She doesn't give them a mention. But she knows that somebody just put something in her pocket. But they start making their way back to the temple... And as they're going in, uh, they find a place, they step in a shop or something, where they quickly open a chest of holding, put it down there. They find a way to put it back in there. While they're doing that, Dandy is down in there doing that. She quickly takes a chance to read the note. Uh, and the message is a quick note advising her to come to the docks at midnight. And it is signed with the number 1 and the letter I. And she knows that signature. Literally, it's his signature, too. Like, she can tell the difference. Dandy's very good at these things forgery was actually one of the skills that she took very early on, which I didn't think was going to be much of a use I try to find ways to, when you choose a skill to find a way to get to use them once in a while Um, but that was one thing she used it for a lot can I tell if this is really signed by that person I would I recognize it and I was like, that was something she used quite often again, she's very good at taking weird abilities that don't have common uses and finding a really good way of applying them. Uh, Dandy, that was one of my favorite parts about Dandy, she did a really good job with that so, that night, um, while well, everybody's asleep, she leaves the temple. She doesn't sneak out of the temple. She has freedom to go in and out as much as she wants. Uh, but um, is that Darsh or something? No. One Eye is One Eye is the nickname of the head of the Thieves' Guild. Remember he's got the eye patch? Um, Marcus One Eye is the leader of the Thil- Thieves' Guild of Paxawal. Um, so, a thief had snuck it into her pocket, and she's a member of that as well. So yeah, One Eye is... The symbol for one eye. Um, so he uh, he makes she makes her way to the docks at midnight. And she, with the directions she knows, what she's looking for. She makes it there, and sure enough, at the end of the dock, looking like just a just like an old guy fishing, she goes up and sits next to him. And you've never heard of one eye? Oh yeah, it's part of the thief guild. Dandy's dealt with him many times on their adventures. He's helped out in several situations. Uh, some he's he's popped up in multiple episodes. But yeah, Marcus One-Eye is the head of the uh, Thieves' Guild, and he's, he's, got a, he's got a bit of a liking for her. Not like in a romantic way, but uh, she just keeps showing up, here's your chest of treasure, here's your share of, this, of the loot. And he's like, you just brought in more than my thieves did in the last six months, you know? Um, and he has a soft spot for her for some reason, though we don't know why. Not romantic, though. Uh, so she comes along to the docks, and sure, sure enough, the guy in the big floppy hat fishing at the end, she goes and takes a sit next to him. And, of course, it's him just sitting there ch- chilling. He'd been missing for a while. You remember there was rumors of a uh, a guild war, and she'd met him with him once and said that uh, he may need her help in the future, uh, but to keep an eye out, that kind of thing. Uh, let's her know that there was a guild war, in fact, uh, with a guy named Jack the Blade. Uh was a, a rival guild leader grew up and, and kind of took people against him uh, they'd been fighting throughout the ci- the cities and the sewers of Paxiwal for a year or so now he goes though he goes Jack is almost defeated and I will be taking back and rebuilding the Thieves Guild beyond its previous glory here in the very near future and she's like well listen she goes I'd love to help but I hate to say this I'm legitimately busy and he puts and goes no no I heard of what happened and I'm sorry to hear about Michael He's, and he's being sincere. He goes, I'm very sorry to hear about that. I heard what happened to Menander. He goes, I want you to know that I, I, you're not just guild members. I consider you my friend, Danny. And I don't have a lot of friends. There's not a lot of people I can legitimately trust. And you're on that short list. He goes, I want you to be careful going to Corman." So he already knows where they're going. Right? He goes, "He goes, you're going into something dangerous. I, no one speaks much. The dwarves don't like to come off information with Corum, but I've learned that it's there because there's a couple dwarf thieves at least. Dwarves do everything. And even they don't come out of a lot of information. All I know is that whatever it is there's something really, really bad there that the dwarves are scared of. And because of that they are exiled from their homes. And they're like, well that's weird. If, if they're in Coroman, how can they be exiled? He goes, I can't tell you. I just know that they speak of exile. Maybe that's some of the ones that have left. Maybe it's a war. He goes, I don't know. But he goes, I know that there's something really bad there that the dwarves are afraid of. And it's going to take a lot for dwarves to be afraid of something. He, of course, offers any help that he possibly can. Uh, information. He goes, he doesn't have much that'll help him beyond that, but he wanted to at least let you know. And, um, and she thanks him and such, and, uh, Says that okay, cool. Well, I appreciate the information. Thanks for letting me know. And and you know, I hope you hope you, hope you take the guild back. Hope you win the war. Like you know, she's genuinely wishing him the best. And as he goes leaves, he stops her one more time, and uh, he says, "Wait, there's one last thing." And he holds out a small pouch. And she's like, "Okay." And she opens it and she looks inside, and inside is a small but thick glass vial. That has what looks like a wooden stopper. Wax melted around it. And then wiring around that to hold it all in place. This stopper is very, very well secured in this bottle. And she looks at it and she's like... I don't know what this is. (laughs) He kind of laughs a little bit. He goes, that's a poison, Dandy. And she's like, well, I'm not going to drink it. He's like, I'm not saying you should drink it, Dandy. But you may find use for it. That is an incredibly rare and powerful poison. It's actually brewed from a flower that grows far to the north. And if that enters the bloodstream of anyone who casts, uses, or has the natural skill that is based on magic, it's a dead magic poison. It will negate their ability for 24 hours to use or be affected by any magic. You were to take that, you were to drink it, magic spells at you, you'd be immune to. So let me stress this. Someone casts a fireball, that's not a spell on you. That's a spell that creates fire and then fire burns you. You're not immune to that. But something that legitimately, if I shoot a magic missile at you and it hits you, that's energy, you'll still take damage, but it'd be diffused. But trying to cast Control Your Mind, Hold Spell, Sleep, any of that stuff would make you immune. But at the same time, that's put in the bloodstream of a mage or a cleric or even a creature that has natural, like a vampire, someone has natural magic abilities, negates all of that for 24 hours. They can't use magic either. They could still use a magic wand or a magic sword because that's not in their bloodstream. That's not theirs. They could still use a physical thing. He goes, that is incredibly rare. He goes, you don't know how much I had to pay and what I had to trade those Gully Dwarves to get a hold of that. But I don't have a whole lot of it. But I have a feeling you may need it more than I do. I still have one for myself, but this one's for you. It also means you can't be healed. That is exactly correct, Turtle. It also means you cannot be healed magically for 24 hours. Any magical regen you have would go away as well. Anything that's magical, you understand, some creatures have these abilities and they're natural abilities versus magical abilities, and that's, that's something that depends on what the creature is, and when I was asked these questions by the characters when we played it, I stressed, if you say I want to use it on this type of thing, if you have enough knowledge about that, I'll tell you, or you have to go find somebody. Like we said, okay, I'm going to use it on Daedalus, that would have worked a lot against him kind of a thing. Probably going to be an issue in the future. Could be! <laughs> but it's one small vial. It's enough to affect one regular-sized person. That's going to be a dwarf, a human, an elf. It would probably still work fine on a minotaur. Um, but, you know, you stab a dragon with that, it'll inconvenience them. Probably weaken them. Not going to not going to have the, quite the same effect, because it's diluted over a much more massive bloodstream. It's a magical type of potion that's not magical. And that's the thing. It's not a magic potion. It's brewed from a special flower that only grows in a couple places flower, plant, root. I didn't really say what it was. Back in the day I never said, but it only grows in a couple places. And only these little gully dwarves know where to get it. Anybody connect that yet? <laughs> oh, okay. So she thanks him for that, you know. Puts in one of her pouches where she knows it'll be protected. She realizes how powerful that is once he explains it. and She's no slouch. She's like, okay, that could be seriously helpful or hurtful. i got to make sure I tell my friends not to drink it. But they probably wouldn't. They'd have to go in my pouches. They won't go in my pouches. They always say they're too afraid of what they'll find. Now, before she decides to, to head back, she decides she's going to make one more trip. One more place she wants to go to. And for that, she goes to visit her friend Weber. You guys remember Weber? Weber is the dwarven smithy shop owner that all the undead hunters visit. Remember? Artemis and Mercy went there once to pick up a panda, package for Dandy and Michael. And they walked in. He definitely was fine with Artemis coming in, but he made them wash their hands. And it's because it's holy water. Makes them wash your hands in holy water. It's one of those things he does. He's been a hunter for a very long time. And he is in Paxawall the source of information for hunters. That's where you go for your supplies. That's where you go when you're looking for information. And she thinks, you know what? He's also a dwarf. So while I could pick up some supplies there, maybe he knows something. I was very excited by this. Because I'd written down in my book here, the name of the place is called The Holy Blade. That's his store. I write things down. If they go there, this is what they'll find. I have that for... Eight different places in the city. Sometimes they don't go to any of them. They don't think of that. I don't try to lead them there. Other than you have to go to the market. That was obvious. Um, But for most of these things, she goes, I want to check out Weber. And I'm like, sweet. I've got some stuff for Weber. So she goes and she knocks on the door. It's late at night. It's midnight. But for Weber, that's not uncommon for someone to show up at his shop late at night. opens the door and he sees Dandy. He's a little surprised. He didn't know she was coming to Pax at Wall. Invites her inside, stands there while she washes her hands. He doesn't have to say anything. She knows the rules. She knows the the stuff. And then he looks around and he asks where Michael is. And she just tears up and starts to cry and he gives her a big hug. Weber is uh, also a very father figure for a lot of the folks in that community. Uh, He's the oldest hunter they know and very experienced. And he's always while sending them into dangerous situations when they want that help, he he's always there to help them in any situation. Sometimes, you know, he's like, oh, I don't have the money for these silver arrowheads. He's like, take them, pay me later. He knows you're using them for the right thing. How long will it take to make that vial of rare liquid? They don't know. He doesn't make it. It's made and given to them by the gully dwarves. Someone in their, in their world is making it. He only knows what it does and how expensive it is. It's hard enough trading with gully dwarves. Um, but she tells the story of what happened with Michael, and he knows all about Menander. Of course, he's been an ally of theirs for a long time, uh, and he's very upset to hear about that, concerned about Michael's as well, and then when, uh, she says, and so now we have to go get this fixed, and this Jeb guy in the marketplace says, the only place we can do it is in Coroman. and he's like, ah, yes, that would make sense. Corman is the only dwarven kingdom I'm aware of anywhere close to here. If there's to be a smith who can work on something like Menandra, I can understand you be there. He goes, "I'll be honest with you. I'm not from Corman. My world was very different. Um, I was in. I traveled to Paxawall. He's from Paxawall's world. He goes, "I lived in Paxawall long before the merge, doing the same things I do now. Uh, and the dwarves are very secretive about its location. He goes, "I know it's in the mountains somewhere east of the elven lands. He goes, but I don't know much more than that. Dwarves don't even share it with non-Corman dwarves if they can help it." Um, he says he does hear more and more dwarves from Corman seem to be making their world out or their way out into the world. So as they're waiting, more and more people from Corman are coming out or leaving Corman. Passing through, off to make their lives or off to do whatever, or maybe even move into Paxawal, but they're off doing their own thing. And he, also wants, he also throws something out that over the past year... There's also been... And this isn't connected, but it's the information he would share with her. Over the last year, there are uh, a lot less undead activity in the area. Which could be because the hunters are doing a good job... Or just the fact that Paxwall Wall and stuff... Because the kingdoms itself also kill undead. It's not just hunters. Um, but over the last uh, year, the amount of undead uh, issues... Or uh, events has, has greatly lowered. He does not believe that's connected to Coramon at all, but it's still information important to the hunting community, of which Dandy is. Um, he prepares, he gives her some supplies silver bullets, vials of holy water. Uh, I think he even had a couple potions of healing. Uh, the basic stuff, you know, supplies that she would need, she stocks up on. Has a brand new silver dagger that he got a hold of that he gives her. Uh, she has several of those at this point. Because again, I'm sorry, I bit my tongue. Ouch. Uh, and they're they're good for certain things. She also talks about the potion she has, though she doesn't say where he got it. And he's like, ooh. He goes, I've never heard of that. He goes, but something like that, if used on an undead, yeah, at least one that had a bloodstream, might go a long way in weakening some of the more powerful. He goes, I'm going to have to look into that myself. He, she goes, you say you got it from some gully dwarves. He's like, that's where a friend of mine got it. And He's like, fair enough, fair enough. I'll look into that. She goes, yeah, I thought you might find that helpful. All right. So, after that, um, let's see. So, she ends up making her way back. So, we got 10.15. Good. Let me grab the Hang on a second. I'm, I'm just, I've got two options here. I'm figuring out which one I used. Um, ah, excellent. So, Darsh got there a little bit later than he would. He had two ways of getting there. Darsh could either take a merchant ship that was going to Paxwall from Cornear, which means he'd get there a bit faster, but he'd be on someone else's boat and dropped off. Or he could wait the extra little while for the stern to arrive. Darsh decided to do that. Darsh made that decision before I did any of the Korman stuff, so he didn't know they were going to need a boat. He had to make that decision as soon as they told him. And I said, where are you doing? That it was a waiting game for him. So he was very glad when they found out he needed a boat that he'd made that decision. Because uh, if they hadn't, it would have made their life a little bit more complicated. And again, that's one of those things where I have a story, but I still want them to have an effect on how it's going to work. So Darsh finally arrives a couple of days later. Um, this is after all these events we've just talked about had happened. Uh, he arrives and immediately has Dorham, uh get to work about refilling everything. Uh, Rokar and Doram are on the ship, so Rokar's here as well. So he's taking his place as second mate to Doram. When Darsh isn't on the ship, Doram is the captain and Rokar's the first mate. Um, and sometimes even when Darsh is on the ship, he'll be like, hey, I'm just going to lounge in the back. You're still captain, do you think? Not often, but you know. Sometimes if his lady's with him. He's like, I'm going to spend some time with her. You, you do your thing. Um, but they arrive, of course, and immediately the... Uh, Someone was waiting at the docks from the temple, says, uh, I will go let them know you're here. And he's like, Excellent. Because he he's immediately gets with Dorm and they start restocking the ship because uh, he doesn't know if he's going to send them off or what's happening. Um, Dandy's arrives first. She makes it there. Mercy and Artemis uh, decide to wait on her because she can get here the fastest because she's dandy. And she gets there and again she cries a little bit. Darce gives her a big hug and tells what little bit of information they've learned since then and how this Jeb guy says they need to go into these mountains as a hidden Dwarven Kingdom. And Darce is like I never heard of a Dwarven Kingdom in there. Yeah, I've heard it called the Reef. That's just a nickname I'd heard. I didn't know it was from Dwarven Origins. He goes, that's, that's not good sailing waters. And Danny's like, you don't think we can do it? He's like, no, I'm, we'll try. He goes, I promise you, if there's, we'll get through there one way or another. And he calls over Dorum and he starts quickly explaining to Doram, this is where we're going. We're going past Elvenlands. We need a, like a month worth of supplies. And Dorum just immediately starts sending people out for food and rope and all the stuff you'd need, grabbing a, looking for a few extra crewmen because they're going a longer distance. So Dorm jumps on that uh, while Darsh and Dandy go back to the temple. Uh, and figure out what's kind of going on there. He, they get escorted there, uh, and they find out that they, they're going to be able to leave within 48 hours. It's going to take now that they're going longer distance. It's going to take a little time to get all the supplies for that because there's not any places after his islands and the Elvenlands. It's just a lot of nothing. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of places to get food, so they have to supply up big. So they're doing that. Darst gets filled in on the information as well, and they find out. You know everything they've learned, and uh, Dandy does not mention anything about One Eye or the the potion. Uh, that stays just with Dandy. Dandy and I talked to that aside. Uh, the other young lady who played Artemis did not know about that. Sometimes I like to do that. Take I'll take one into the other room and we'll do a little role play, and I'll come back out, and somebody learned something the other one didn't. Yeah, it's their choice if they want to share it, but they just didn't hear it together at the same time. So. Let me see here, what do we got here? Alright, so after that 48 hours, of course they've already sent messages to Jeb letting him know, you know, they're leaving in a couple of days, the ship is the Morgenstern please send your dwarf guide to there. Um, they're getting ready to leave uh, about midday the supplies are just about done and Dorm and Rokar are seeing to the last you know, tying them down of things and the last few things to make sure it's good uh, while Darsh is seeing to his friends getting on the boat uh turban shows up turban splinterstein will meet them and say meet them he says yeah I'm, is this the ship i'm supposed to be taking you and he looks at Dars. he's a big guy and he's like i heard of you kind of thing he goes yeah you'll do excellent and he's like, where do i stay and he, he there's a little room for him that they've arranged so he's going to stay in one of the little rooms and they're preparing to uh to go um now the Morgan he goes. This boat is big. I'm not sure you're going to be able to fit that in there. And Darsh is like, a smaller boat would never get us in in time. We're on a schedule. He goes, one way or another, I'm gonna get this boat in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, suit yourself. Just don't kill us all. And bumbles off. The dwarf is a younger dwarf, probably barely 150 years old, a wee lad, if you will. Um. So let's see. Um, yes, yeah, so they decide that they are going to uh, go through elven waters. Darsh can do that. That'll help save some time. Nathalian is on board, so if they do get meet up with any elven ships, they won't be questioned. We're just passing through. He's allowed to do that. Uh, the ship is loaded and getting ready to go. They're just finishing up the last things when another person arrives with a bag of loot. Stuff. Tobias has returned and just found out what was going on. Tobias... Learns from Lamia what happened to Michael. He checks on him. They talk about stuff and what's happening. And how many goddamn people have loot? Oh, everybody has their loot, right? Everybody carries their stuff. Their loot is what you carry. He's got his bag of his stuff, right? (laughs) Everybody's got to have some loot. But uh, Tobias comes up to the ship and he goes, I heard of what's going on. Michael's my friend. With your permission, I would like to join you. Uh, I may be of assistance in this situation. And again, Tobias is no slouch. And it's the first time they've seen him and he still looks normal. He's pretty healed up. They don't see any real major scars. You see a little bit on his hands. Uh, his hands had been, all, his fingers had all been broken and such and so there was a lot of healing to get that back in, uh, in normal space but uh, he's just a little bit more serious maybe just a little bit quieter than he was before but not by a whole lot. He's still the smiley hail, hey, cast a spell to make you smile kind of thing but when he does it it looks like he's doing it to make you happy not really himself. He went through a lot in Ormon. The characters like, God, yes, we'd love to have you aboard. We can always use a wizard. Especially one who knows something about magic items and artifacts. When we start seeing talking to this guy who can fix things, you might be a better judge of whether or not he's actually good enough to fix Menandra. And plus, while they're traveling, that's going to give him some time to work with Menandra, which Lemia only got 48 hours. And that was another thing why Lemia agreed that he should come with them, because at least he can continue to research Menandra on the trip. And that could be very beneficial for them. So, Tevin is given uh, a room where he's staying with Ulrich. I forgot to mention Ulrich has been here the whole time. I keep forgetting to mention Ulrich. But Ulrich's there with him the whole time. Um, He wasn't down in the chest of holding the whole time. I just keep forgetting to mention him. But yeah, Ulrich's there too. (laughs) And so Ulrich's on there. Darch says hi to him. Everybody's good to go. So, the uh, four heroes... I'm sorry. Yes, the four heroes and Ulrich... Um, get on the ship. And of course, Darsh's all main crew is there, so he's got lots of people to choose from if he needs somebody. Um, Now, as they go ahead and they head through, they're going to cut through Elven Waters. Um, They chose to go through Elven Waters, which is good, because that enabled them to not have one uh, fight with a sea monster. They did have to fight one sea creature on the way. Um, It was not a dragon, it was a giant eel uh, that attacked the ship at night, uh, and they had to fight that. Um... Also, while they were traveling they decided that they were, uh, this is something that Mercy and Artemis had touched on before that I didn't mention, because it wasn't that important until now, but I'm going to mention it. Um, As these characters have been out adventuring and on their stuff, they find magical items. right? Sometimes they find magical items that aren't that useful, or they already have one of, you know, ring of protection plus one. We've got three ring of free actions. I've got a ring that's way more powerful. I don't need that ring, because I can only wear so many rings. Because the way I do it, you can wear one ring on each hand. If you wear more than one ring, they negate each other. Uh, With the exception of artifact rings and some special situations. Uh, There's also a magical item that I've created that allows you to have more than one on a hand, but we'll talk about that later. Hi, Patchy. Hi, baby. So, you can only wear one ring on a hand. As such, um, as these people have started having loved ones, friends, and allies, some of these magic items have been distributed to some of their NPCs. Uh, Michael was the first to ever get anything. There were several times where they gave him uh, rings of protect, because he doesn't wear big armor like he did in the early days. Now he's in more of his leather undead fighting gear. Uh, So giving him, like, an amulet of protection or ring of protection, they started picking up some of those things. Ulrich has a couple of magic items on him. Nothing big. They had a ring of uh, protection from fire, immunity from fire, uh, which was a cool ring, but it wasn't anything big. And they also had... Uh, An amulet of free action. So what free action does um, is a couple different things. If somebody casts a spell on you, that would like web spell, and you're stuck in sticky things, or booby traps of that nature. It allows you to move through it much easier. You can also move underwater without the slowing effect of being water. So if I could breathe underwater, I could just go walking along the bottom, I could sword fight normally, uh, without the slowness and such of being underwater. Uh, so he has an amulet of free he's got the ring of fire, but the, the, the amulet of free action is the reason I bring this up, because in this fight, while the ship was being attacked, he ended up getting knocked overboard, and He had to basically turn it off to swim, so he just didn't start sinking. Uh, That became a problem, because he'd never really had to deal with that before. Um, And Mercy ended up having to save him out of the water, because it turns out Ulrich can only swim a little bit. Not when there's an eel thrashing in the middle of a storm. But it was a very cool fight, but it wasn't really story-heavy. It was just a way to kind of uh, uh, give Mercy a chance to save Ulrich. Because there was a whole, hey, we're even now. And he's like, yeah, you wish. And that's the joke going between them that she'd saved him. He'd saved back and forth several times. Because she saved him first from the undead, right? And then he helped fight in the quests after that. And then he saved her from the Emperor. Now she saved him again. It became a running joke back and forth. Whose turn is it to save who? Um, Just kind of a camaraderie between friends thing. Uh, But some of the characters back home, Quan has a magic ring. uh, Seamus has a magic bracer. Things like that. Dorum has a couple has a magic earring uh, that actually lets him hear really, really well. So a lot of times something going on in the boat, it'll wake him up because he knows what's happening. Uh, Darce gave him that. Um, it was a magical, a magical earring of, of uh, extended what's it was it audibility? I believe it was? But I digress. Some of the NPCs are starting to get some magic items at this point. But I brought that up because of the eel fight. I wanted you to know about the amulet of free action. Mercy wore it for a while until she got a better amulet and gave it to him, because that's how characters work. But other than that fight, um, everyone has magic. Everybody does. I mean, when you're a when you're basically a king, right? You right. have that much money, it's not hard to buy. Plus they keep they keep beating monsters with with treasure hordes. The dragon, there was the, the pirate lich, right? I mean there's that. They probably got some stuff out of Daedalus' tower, right? Um, so you think about the quests that they've been on, all the places they've been to get all those stones. Remember there was the uh the sunken place they got the magic carpet, right? From that. They still have the carpet, it's rolled up in there. Um so yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. So uh let's see. All right, so I'm gonna say something that happened. I try not to make too much foreshadowing. I want to say that I had an idea and I was planting the seed of that idea. But it was up to the characters whether or not it grew. This is that thing, again, I talked about earlier. Where I have an idea, but this was an idea that if we never went that path, I didn't care. It was something I was adding in there for additional character development. And if the characters decided to go on that path... And we'd see where it took us. I didn't have an ending in store. I just had an idea. Um, and it's on this voyage that that idea really begins to sprout. I'd started it earlier, but it really hit here. Uh, there is one point when they're all crewing and getting ready to go into the rocks. And everybody's doing stuff. And even the heroes, darshan and them, they're up there helping with the boat and steering and pulling ropes and stuff. At one point, um, Mercy's looking around and she goes, where's Ulrich? Because they hadn't seen him, you know, since it's been a couple days since she saved him from the water. And somebody's like, Oh, he's helping over there. And she turns and Ulrich's over there helping. And he's got no shirt on and he's like pulling this rope and stuff. And it was, I was really like, and he's like, you can just see his muscles bulging as he's trying to help pull this rope. And I'm saying this. And immediately, the young lady who plays Artemis and Darsh looks at the young lady who plays Mercy and Dandy. And she got embarrassed. Not the character. But the young lady playing her got a little shy about it. And as such, I said, okay, cool. That's how Mercy reacted. That exact reaction is where Mercy's like, uh, oh, right, yes, okay. And sure, put, put a shirt on, <laughs> kind of thing. He's like, we're going to go into, we may have to fight soon. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. And he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. Let me go get it. Grabs his shirt, puts it back on and stuff. But it, for the, it was the first time where Mercy legitimately felt flustered by Ulrich. Again, I like to plant seeds in many different parts and then sometimes wait and see which ones will grow. Sometimes much later than than earlier. But I thought I'd bring up that special event because it was a special event. It takes them well over a month to get here. Now, before they left, they did send a messenger who was going to go back to Serenity and let them know what happened. That was the hardest decision for Artemis to make. Do I go home to where my child is or do I continue on this quest with my friends, knowing I have no idea when I'm going to be home? And there was a chance that she could have chosen to go back home. If so, I had story prepared. But she decided that save Michael and do that stuff is what her character would do. As much as it hurts her all the times he's helped and allies and how he helped with the Draven quest, she owes him nothing but uh, every attempt she can to make sure he survives. So she decided to go, but I had a, a story branch if she chose not to, at which point um, I she would have just been playing uh, Darsh at that point, so I would have given him a bit bigger of a role. I was prepared. So they travel. It takes, like I said, well over a month to get all the way through. Past uh, They stop for some supplies in Arduel. They cut through the Elven area without really running into any Elven ships, which isn't uncommon. Elves would notice them before they would notice the Elves just how it works, and flying the right flag, uh, the elves would just not bother them unless they had a need to. He's, they're not make, he's not making their way towards Elven, he's going through, so they're like, well, you're none of our business. Other than the direction he gives, Turvin keeps to himself. Uh, he doesn't really talk to many people. Most of the time he spends in his room or occasionally out watching the shoreline as it goes by. Um, Dandy at one point, you know, while they're eating, because he does still come out and eat, and he's, he's, he's not rude by any means, he just kind of stays to himself, and at one point, Dandy asks him what Corman is like, and he begins to kind of describe it, and he wistfully describes a beautiful underground city, um, you know, it's been around for thousands of years, the home of his people, he's kind of dreamy eyed when he's talking about it, and then when he gets to the, kind of the end of it, after he's described it for a little while, he gets kind of a little bit of a, a sad look on his face, and sad smile, and kind of goes off on his own after that. Which does not make the characters feel confident. Uh, they had some storms they went through. That went okay. They managed to get through that. I talked about the eel. Um, Artemis almost went overboard once. Uh, Mercy was able to save her. Um, but it was very... (laughs) But it was, uh, it was rare. Uh, it 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 was a funny sight. It was a lot of slipping. A lot of people falling in the water. A lot of rolling badly. Um, But eventually, they make it to the area known as the Reef, which is itself a large part of land. At this point, Turvin spends most of his time on deck because he's he's the guide. He's like, we have to go through a certain way or you're going to crash your ship. It's going to be a tight fit as it is. I've been watching your crew, especially fighting this stuff. You guys definitely got some skills, but this is something beyond anything you've done. I've, I've, I've never seen a ship this big go through. Usually, it's smaller boats by far. Or we take the land route around. Uh, but it's like fishing boats, little things. And even those sometimes don't make it. So they make it there. And again, the cliffs are super high. right? Like, uh, I like to kind of compare them to the big cliffs that you see uh, in the Princess Bride. If anybody's seen that. The super high cliffs. Because that's what it would be. It was a mountain range that got cut in half. And suddenly there was an ocean there. And the big rocks that are sticking out are chunks of mountain that broke off and fell down into the water, right? Because that you cut off half a mountain, it's not going to be stable, you know. Pieces are <laughs> Mercy does save everybody who goes in the water. Mercy rarely falls in the water, but she saves everybody else who does or keeps them from. But uh, these rocks falling down and they're sticking, so even the water's deep, these are huge chunks. Oh, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate you following me. Here. Thank you, thank you. Uh, that was a follow on our Facebook channel. Appreciate that on the uh, Only German Gaming Facebook channel. Um, plus, I have a little zombie that runs there. I like him. Uh, so they're having to go through all of this rocks that weren't there before into a mountain range, and that the dwarves knew the mountain range, but now these crevices are filled with water. So they begin to travel through those. And they can see the cliffs in the distance. Um, Turbin says they're known as the Cliffs of Corum, and is their official name, um, and now they're nicknamed the Reef. Um, he says, be uh, used to be the passages that they're going to be going through with the boat used to be deep cracks in the mountain range themselves, but again, they filled with water as the merge happened and came rushing in. Uh, other than that, way up to the northeast. So think about that, right? Here's your map. Right? They're coming this way, east. Up into Corman. Serenity's way over here. They have to go northeast to come all the way around to the landway, to get up the... The only way out of the mountains is to come all the way around. So it really... Uh, is not fast for them. It's very hard to go land wise. But most dwarves still go that way rather than be on a boat. Dwarves don't swim well. Um let's see. Ba-ba-ba-ba. So it makes it takes them almost an entire day and they start going through the ship. Uh, ...or they start going through these things. Now, I had stats here... ...depending on what percentage of people were on Darsha's ship... ...that were regular crew... ...versus percentage that were not regular crew. These are things he has to keep track of. Um, And... ...they had different percentages of how much damage the ship would take. The ship took some damage. They hit some things. It was a very tight fit. And the ship had a health bar, just like a creature... ...like a Pearson does. Uh, And they had to get through without doing a certain amount of damage... Other, they sunk their ship. And I was prepared to sink the ship if I had to. A lot of this was rolling and based on navigational skills and different sea skills that a lot of the characters and NPCs had. Um, and uh, it's a living ship now. Okay, then. <laughs> Well, no, but a ship does... Uh, here's an interesting thing. I'll throw this at you. There's a... I think I mentioned it before. I played a, a Dungeon Dragons called... Uh, a role-playing game called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles a very long time ago. And the way that they did it and so you had hit points and you had SDC points, and SDC points is your armor and your gear. So if someone hits me with a hammer, I may take some damage from that, but the majority of the damage is going to go to my armor, and it has its. I can repair it over time, and it may start with a hundred, and I repair it now it has ninety eight. The repair each repair makes it weaker and weaker, and then some damage like you you know you stab me in the neck that's not going to do anything to my armor. So different damages did different things. So um, ships and things in these natures, I kind of viewed the same way. It has a certain amount of resilience before the ship has taken so much damage, it just starts to fall apart. Um, and I do that a lot with walls, catapults, doors if they're trying to keep a door barred so somebody can't get in. Enough damage is going to break down a door regardless. So I, that's kind of that there. Um, so as they're coming through that, um, they ask Turban how do you know where we're going? And it's like I'm following the markings. And they look up there like... I. There are no markings. He's like, there's markings everywhere. There's dwarven glyphs and markings throughout the cliffs. That's how we know how to get in and out. And these markings were even changed after the water came in, so we'd be easier in this situation. But nobody, even Nathalian, as the expert site in their uh, their their prince spy guy. He can't see anything either. Damn, it just looks like rock. This is purely a Dwarven thing. But he's like, yeah. And so they managed to make it through and it did take a decent amount of damage. They're going to have to do some repairs in Corman before they try to go back through there again. Uh, but that's... they got to get back out eventually, you would think. So we're at 10.37. Do I spend another 15 minutes introing what's about to happen? Or do I call it a day and start the stream with that next time? What do you guys think? I'd love to hear your points of view. Yes, I know. You want your treats. Not yet. You got a minute. Sorry I'm eating. I haven't eaten all day. I'm hungry. Um. Hmm. Go ahead and tell it. All right. For you, Turtle. Turtle. Mm. call it because the cliffhanger will hurt you. (laughs) She wants the cliffhanger. I didn't say there wasn't going to be a cliffhanger. It's just not going to be this cliffhanger. I'm going to read a little bit more. Try not to go too long. This is actually a reading part. The ship finally comes clear of the rocky passageway, and you find yourselves in a large valley ringed with massive snow-capped mountains. On the distant shore, you see buildings and homes, an entire city built at the base of the giant mountains. Even from here, you can see the massive double doors carved into the mountain. Each is clearly as tall as the mage tower of Paxwall. Lines of smoke rise from the rocky dwellings. I know. Um, rocky dwellings. Turvan, as you bring your ship to a stop, advising that the water gets shallow very quickly... The Morgenstern will not be able to get close to the shore. There is no dock on the water. Little ones were like rowboats and such, but nothing that would handle this. And looking carefully, you can see the ruins of buildings poking up through the water near the shore. You see figures on the shore, dwarven soldiers forming a line of defense. Darsh lowers the rowboats, and our characters, along with Turvin, obviously. Turvin's going to be their, is their guide. He's their, one, he's their ticket in. They don't have Michael, by the way. Remember, they left Michael back home. They're not carrying Michael in a chest of holding at this point. Uh, but Tobias is there. Um, he's hanging out. They all take the boat across. As they arrive, Turvin gets out first and goes and speaks with the dwarven captain, who's obviously the guy in charge of these group of people. They're all armed and standing at the shore ready to compel. Turvin's the one waving. And he goes and he chats with them for a little bit. And the, the, the dwarven captain nods, and Turvin comes back and says um, that they've agreed to take you in to speak to the Thane. So in many uh, Dungeons & Dragons stories, Thane is the term for king or emperor. The Thane is, or the High Thane. Sometimes different clans will have their own Thane, and the High Thane would be the king. Or uh, a king is a king, and Thanes are just the leaders of the clans. We use differently depending on the uh, fantasy setting. But in this situation, Thane means leader just in general. They're taken into, through the city, and you could they can tell that while a lot of the city, uh, especially the parts closest to the mountains, appear to be uh, very, very old, the buildings closer to shore, a lot of them appear to be newer, as much as newer is, 30 years, 50 years, relatively new, newer. Um, and they get taken in there, and they're introduced... They finally taken to the large building, which is relatively close to the giant, massive tower-sized doors that are made out of metal. Huge metal doors. Hinges bigger than Darcia Ship. I want you to picture how big these doors are. And they are taken into this uh, cozy room, warm, nice. Several door, dwar- a bunch of dwarves in there, especially one sitting on a larger chair, clearly like a throne type of thing. And they are introduced to Thane. Keljat. Keljat is his name. Uh, Let's see here. As they enter in, you can see that other dwarves are coming in from other doorways, uh, because the Thane has called for the uh, the Dwarven Council. Elder dwarves, who show up as well. Mostly elven. A couple younger people in there. You don't have to always be old to be an elder. Be knowledgeable, right? And they come in and they talk, and the Thane... Speaks with uh, Turvin first. And Turvin explains why they're coming here. And he's speaking mostly in Dwarven. But he speaks of them. And they could tell, he can tell they're speaking of them. What they don't know is uh, Darsh speaks Dwarven. It's one of the only other languages he can speak between, besides Common and Minotaur, uh, but he's just sitting there listening to it, and he's hearing them regale of the tales of their adventures and the stuff that, at least the stuff that the public knows. Um, some of it's blown up a little bit out of proportion as stories are what are want to know, and then some parts aren't spoken of, like are left out because he knows not everybody knows about that. But he's listening to this going on, and he's not letting on that he understands what they're saying, because you know, never give away an ace. So. He's listening to that, but it's all positive, and they talk about there's this artifact, and that uh, its repair will save someone's life. You know, that's how how it uh, translates, anyways. And Keljat, the Thane, who looks young for a dwarf. He's probably barely 200. He, you know, he, he Turban nods, and then he leaves the room. He's done. Keljat ask them to come forward. There's some wooden chairs there. They're a little bit small. Darsh stands. There's he. I mean, he sits down cross-legged. There's no way he's going to fit on one of these chairs. One per cheek wouldn't be enough. Darsh is too big for these chairs. Although they're well-made. They might hold them. But he's, he sits on the floor. Just so he doesn't tower over everybody. And Keljet says, you've come to speak with Duberin I am told that you have an old dwarven artifact of great power that needs repaired. And that the lives of someone you love dearly hangs in the balance of that repair. Is this correct? Dandy nods and she goes, it's my husband, Michael. It's a magical staff that fights undead and he, he kind of becomes part of it and his hair goes white and purple smoke comes out and they fight undead together and its name is Menandra and it got blown up in an explosion against another magical artifact and when it got blown up, he didn't unhook from it and he he's stuck in the pieces. It's basically how she kind of explained that. Keldet nods in a, okay, I understand, but I don't understand. The word menandra meant nothing to him. They were She was watching for that. He didn't react to the word menandra at all. And he says, may I see this artifact? And they're like, yeah, sure. And they open up the chest of holding, which draws some attention for everybody. They're like, ooh. And he climbs down inside of that. Comes back out. Now, I understand, the only people here right now, Artemis, Dandy, Darsh, Mercy, Ulrich, and Tobias. That's our six people here right now, because Michael's not here, normally he'd be one of them, and they bring it out, and they sit down, they unroll it, and he, he, he gets out of his chair and kind of squats down to look at it, and you can tell he's rubbing his beard, and he's like, okay, yeah, this is impressive, he goes, he goes, I agree, it's clearly wonderful dwarven design, though I've never seen anything quite like it, um, and the designs are Not something that I recognize specifically in the carvings, but it's definitely dwarven work. I can tell by the handwork here. And he says, Okay. He goes, I will allow you to speak with Dubrin. And he nods this way. And after, and everybody just kind of sits there. They're given drink, alcohol of some kind. What else would dwarves give them? And after a few moments, an older dwarf comes in. And this guy's older than Jeb, looks like. Okay. But still, you know. Broader shoulder, strong of step. And he comes in and he's told the story and he's like, all right. And he gets down and he starts looking at the pieces of Menandra. And then he asks for the whole story. He goes, I need to know everything about this that you know. And once again, Dandy proceeds to tell him everything about Menandra, how it's used, how Michael's story of how he found it, uh, what happens when they merge with it and everything. And then he asks who Michael is. And why is he worthy of such an artifact? That caught them by surprise. No one's ever asked that before. And Dandy thinks about it for a minute. I gave her the choice. I'm like, how do you explain? How do you answer that question? And Dandy said, no one is. But then she tells the story of Michael and the gem. And how many people died due to Him being taken over. And while she assures he had no control over himself, it was done, how much he blamed himself for that. And he gave himself, he basically went out into nature to die, but instead found Menandra and with it found a kinship that uh, ever since then has been using to destroy undead throughout the world. And then she also talks about, which nobody else here knew, her own time merging with Menander and explaining how painful it is and how much it hurt and how much control and anger that burns when you're doing that. Uh, and that Michael does that every time because he's doing what he thinks is right. And he's like, uh-uh, that, because the pain thing's important. because She never told Artemis or anything about that. That's just something her and Michael knew, and her and Michael don't talk about it because uh, it's not, not good memories. He then says, he goes, I know this would." This wood is called keltwood, and it's a tree that grows not so much a tree, but roots, a root-like tree that grows underground, very, very deep. There's a small grove of keltwood deep beneath the city of Cormon, uh, but it's again, very rare wood. It's highly valued. It only grows in you know, tiny areas, and there's a small grove that we have here. He says, I can fix this. It'll, he goes, it he goes, will take uh, C-E-L-T. C-E-L-T. You had it right, the, the second one there. Celt wood. Um, says it's a very rare, and it's, it's a wood that almost has um, the durability of more stone. It's almost like a stone wood, if you will. Um, he says, I can fix this. It isn't within my ability to repair this in the way that you need it done. Though I don't know how to... The magic that was cast upon it is beyond anything beyond me. The physical build was made by someone with great skill. And I believe that I can repair this to the quality that you need it to be. But in order to do that, I'm going to need that Celtwood. And on top of that, for me to do this, there's something that you first have to do... For Coramon. Because doing this is the only way... You'll get access to the Celtwood, And the only way to save your friend's life. And I'm going to tell you what that is next week. So. Uh, that's the end of... That's where we're going to leave off. Dubrin is going to... Tell the story of Corman, What's going on there. And what the characters need to do... To... Get Menandra fixed... And help the Dwarves of Corman with their issue. You said you'd leave it as a cuff hanger. I did. I just gave you a little bit more meat before I took the plate away. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, we're really going to get into some deep d kind of stuff here in the next story section. Uh, a lot of this has still all been set up and kind of the interesting of it. We're going to get into some classic, really cool d Style activities for these characters here in the near bit. We're actually going to touch upon things like puzzles and some of the things that they have to deal with to survive and to do different things. A lot of times I say, Oh, there was a puzzle. We're going to talk about a little bit more detail about some of these puzzles and some of the things these guys have had to do. Uh, so I'm excited to get to kind of touch on that stuff a little bit more than I normally do. But I think it works well with the story and I think. Uh, uh, you'll find it interesting. Uh, I'm super used to cliffhangers. I've been reading 24 7 so sick. There you go. You must be exhausted. <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, thank you all for coming by and hanging out with me for today's episode of Merge World. Ran a little bit long, but not too bad. Um, this is our third week of Merge Worlds. So next week, next Sunday, is the members-only stream. So that means we won't be doing Merge Worlds for two weeks. So sadly, you'll have to wait for two weeks to see where the story goes next. But next Sunday is our members stream. Um, probably Jackbox. Maybe look to see if I can find something else that's kind of Jackboxy that we might be able to do a little bit different as well. See if I can put together maybe something a little bit different. We'll do Jackbox for sure. but Maybe a little something else we can jump into for members day. Test out to see if it works well for the channel for fun. Uh, so I'm looking very excited to that. I'm uh, looking forward to that. Thank you all for coming. If you had a good time today, please be sure to click like. I forgot to say this. I keep forgetting lately. Um, Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Click the little bell notification. Slap the hell out of it so that way you can get notified anytime that we have uh, streams and such. There's that. Uh, Also, uh, please go to the website if you don't mind checking it out. I'm making a little bit of changes to it here over the next week or two. I would love uh, people's feedback on the website. What do you like about the website? What would you like to see on the website? What do you feel is on there and really doesn't interest you as a waste of space? I'd love a little feedback on the website. And at the top of the website is a link to my Discord channel. Please click on that. Come to Discord. Hang out with us. Chat with us. A lot of great people in there. We chat all the time. It's a great place to provide feedback about anything. Merged Worlds, Uh, Minecraft, the website, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, We also have a membership program. If you haven't heard of that, click the join button. I won't sign you up. It'll just tell you what's all involved with it. Give you some information on that. We are only six away, because sadly we lost one today. We are six away from getting a second member's Minecraft server. Uh, so I'm very excited about that as well. But thank you all for coming and let me tell my stories. I appreciate you very much. If you enjoy Merge World and you have an Instagram account, uh, do a search for Merge Worlds on Instagram. I have one there now where I post minis and different D&D things and some maps and stuff that I've been coming across. You're going to see more content for Merge Worlds popping on there besides just the minis, uh, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I hope you like it. Yeah, the uh, the website, the membership goal, doesn't reflect changes that happen off stream. So if four people joined up and we started the stream, it would still say 70. I have to manually adjust it. Kind of like I have to do the donation goal in between. Um, So I have to manually adjust it. We lost two and then uh, someone joined back up. So we're, we're, we're at six now, but I'll have it updated by the next one. I apologize. I didn't get a chance to do it today. I, I didn't realize we'd lost the one until right before the stream started. Um, But I've got to do those manually, but thanks for coming by. Uh, special thank you as always to my members. Uh, your support uh, of the channel is overwhelmingly appreciated. Helped me grow this up into a bigger and better thing. Uh, as well as those folks who've been donating lately. Again, really appreciate that. I do my best to put all that money back into the channel one way or another. So thank you so much for all of your support as well. And an extra special thank you to my moderators. Um, you guys are doing great work. And I appreciate all the time you've been putting into this. Uh, especially just coming by and hanging out on the streams and participating. So thank you guys for all that you do. You are loved and appreciated. But we are going to call that a day. I love you folks as well. And uh, tomorrow night at 6 p.m. is Minecraft Sky Factory 4. We'll be back for some of that. Uh, And then two weeks from now, we'll be back for some Merge Worlds. So hopefully we'll see you then. All right, guys. You have yourselves a great night. See you tomorrow.